The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To keeping it strong style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll discuss Fantastica Mania, the All-Star Junior Festival, New Japan Cup, and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT the only browser extension for njpwworld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy. Got a lot going on in this world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, man, you uh, you listed a lot of different shows, and I'm like, did we watch all that this week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, a very busy uh, wrestling weekend. Of course, uh, as everybody knows, the, the great uh, AEW Revolution uh, pay-per-view happened yesterday. Uh, I know there was a stardom pay-per-view this weekend as well. Uh, you know, we got the, the Ring of Honor TV taping kicked off last week, so I know there's a ton of great wrestling that people are trying to catch up on, stay up on, especially also New Japan Cup starting at the anniversary event today. Uh, so much going on to, to catch up on. UFC. That's right, the big uh, John Jones, uh, Cyril Gain uh, fight. I think it's gone, gone, but yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what he is, gone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we got a lot to jump into. Um, yeah, I say we just... Uh, no need to banter this week. Let's uh, <laughs> let's just try and slay this beast. <laughs> yeah, let's run it. Uh, so yeah, I'll start with uh, the wrestler of the month and match of the month 
or oh, February. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, let's talk about Fantastic. So yeah, we got the wrestler of the month and the match of the month. Um, I'll kick us off with the wrestler of the month. And there were a lot of great candidates, deserving individuals that put in some pretty great performances. But uh, I think ultimately we had to go with the current reigning IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Kazushiko Okada, because not only did he put in two great matches in this company this month, not only did he defend his title successfully, he had one of the match of the year contenders for the year against uh, Shingo Takagi. And then on top of that defense and the defense against Tanahashi in North America, he crossed over into Noah and also beat their reigning world champion in Keito Kiyomiya. And, you know, all the uh, uh, controversies aside, it was a great match and he prevailed and in kayfabe proved that he's the superior champion. So kind of hard not to go with him for, I believe this is what the second month in a row. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to check, but I think he was January's wrestler of the month too. So, um, yeah, Okada really putting in the work this year and uh, making an early case for, you know, wrestler of the year, not just for New Japan, but possibly worldwide. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's been putting out banger after banger. And, you know, usually for like our uh, wrestler of the month award, usually he doesn't really get it because usually he has like one big match where. There are other guys who have multiple great matches throughout the month or have done a lot of great stuff throughout the month. But, yeah, he's killing it right now. Like you mentioned those two big, uh, great matches. And uh, one of those great matches is our February match of the month, and that would be that IWGP title match against Shingo Takagi from the New Beginning Tour. And, you know, right now that is the second greatest Second highest rated match for New Japan on Cage Match for the year. Uh, this match has gotten a ton of great reviews, and it was another uh, classic between Okada and Shingo. Great hard hitting, you know, IWGP uh, main event style matchup there. And so, yeah, that is our February match of the month. Yeah, so the year has kicked off to a, a somewhat conventional, but also mixed in with unconventional um shows you know we're back to the regular you know traditional schedule that we're used to but we're also peppering in a lot of weird things you know like the all-star junior festival fantastic manias and at a different time of the year um uh, you know battle in the valley so it, it's the same 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 but but different <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh well let's uh, talk about one of the shows that we have to review here so um Last week, we had the the last night of the New Japan Pro Wrestling and CMLL Fantastica Mania 2023 tour. Uh, this tour concluded on February 28th in Corken Hall. Um, thought it was a great show to really close off the tour. Uh, we had Capitan Suicida and Yuta Nakashima defeating Kosei Vegeta and Mahia Blanca. Tiger Mask defeating El Hio de Viano 3. Uh, the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Naito, and Teton. They defeated Tanahashi, Rei Kometa, Roy Oiwa, and Satoshi Kojima. Dose Gardenia defeated Okamura. Soberano Jr. defeated Hechishiro. Then the semi-main event, we had the incredible rival six-man tag match as El Desperado, Templario, and Volador Jr. defeated El Barbaro Cavanario, Master Wato, and Ultimo Guerrero. 
And then the main event, champion versus champion, Mystico defeats Atlantis Jr. Well, it, that's true. It is champion versus champion, but there's a lot of champions in CML. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> How many champions do you think they have in this company, actually? Don't they have, like, something like 20 champions? And I'm not, I'm not even trying to exaggerate. Like, isn't that like, that much? I think it's more than that. I'll tell you right now. So they have currently active 28 different titles. Now, keep in mind, um, they have the CMLL titles, which are, you know, that's going to include all of their world titles, plus, you know, like trios and tag champions and the women's title. And they all, all sorts of weird, they have a bunch of weird titles under that umbrella. But then they also have a bunch of Mexican national titles, which are kind of like not specific to CMLL, but like historically have floated between companies and kind of even predate CMLL. And then they have the NWA World Historic titles, which are additional world titles. They have. <laughs> and then they have the Occidente titles, which are basically like, I think they have a, um, they have like another company that they run out of, I think it's Juarez or Jalisco. And it's sort of like NXT, basically. Gotcha. Kind of like, like their developmental kind of in a way. It's like develop. It's sort of. It's more like a regional territory that they run, and they kind of treat it like developmental, but it doesn't get acknowledged very often on television. But they've got like a good six or seven titles coming out of there too. So yeah, they've got twenty eight different titles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I I say all that to say this. Like yes, this was a, a big deal, but uh, you know. In in that company, the the man makes the title, not the other way around. And for real, for real, yeah. <laughs> but um, it, there is no denying that Lannis Junior. Mystico are two of the biggest single stars that they have. So yeah, this was a big deal. And um, yeah, overall, I thought this show was very good. Uh, maybe not quite as good as the night prior, which I think was the high point of this year's uh, Fantastic Mania tour. But I thought it was a good companion piece, even if it um maybe slightly under delivered in a few areas that I thought it could have shined more, you know? Yeah. They did kind of build a lot of, to the single matches on the show, uh, tiger mask, Vano three, you know, they had some, um, pull apart brawls and some of the undercards mm -hmm. earlier in the tour. So they, they did, uh, build that match up. I thought tiger mask looked, uh, pretty good in that match considering that he doesn't do many singles matches nowadays. And, um, yeah, he was able to pull off the win here, the tiger suplex on, uh, Viano three. Yeah, I, um, one thing I did notice, for whatever reason, Dave decided to review this show, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which was a little surprising, maybe just because the last night of uh, Cork and Hall for the tour, but I thought his reviews were a bit harsh, honestly, and then um, he went three and three quarters on the main event, which I thought was a little high, so I don't know, and I noticed that some of the cage match ratings, too, sort of were lower than maybe what I was overall. Like for me, I thought the show was really like, for instance, the Tiger Mask Viana four match. Um, I didn't think it blew me away or anything, but I was impressed to a certain degree. Um, I, I actually have a little bit of a different take than you. I kind of thought Tiger Mask didn't look so great, but I thought Viano four for being such a green guy, he did a pretty good job carrying him. In my opinion, I think that most of the match was a heat segment that he kind of had to improvise. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it, it wasn't anything that like blew me away. And I don't think the match was like next level or anything like that. But for for what it needed to be, it could have been a lot worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
but people seem to be pretty harsh on it when I was looking at like the critic scores and stuff, which I I found it pretty enjoyable. They had high flying, there was heat, you know, and um, you know, ultimately, even though I thought Tiger Mask looked a little aged, he still did the big spots off the turnbuckle and everything like that. Yeah, the big uh, uh, Tiger suplex off the top. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, and uh, I think it's a good experience for a young guy like Viano three to uh, I call him Viano four, Viano three to uh, you know to, to get in there with a legend like him. So yeah. Then uh, other match they built the uh, Dulce Gardenia and Okamura match, and I feel like they've kind of their rivalry kind of goes back to even the last Fantastica Mania tour that happened in uh, 2020, and this was kind of. You know, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of seriousness. Uh, you did have Mima Shimoda out there, always accompanying Okamura, and she uh, got involved. There was a spot on the outside where you know she was uh, holding uh, Dulce Dar- uh, Gardenia. And careful, Jeremy. You don't want to get you don't want to get canceled <laughs> by association, bro. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, actually, Okamura is holding Gardenia, and Mima goes to slap. Dulce, but Dulce moves. She slaps Okamura. Okamura gets pissed. He slaps Mima, and then she starts crying. The crowd starts booing. Yeah, and then he he apologizes. This is one of those matches where, for some people, it's going to be very like uh, offensive and you know, uh, kind of not really in their wheelhouse, you know, because of some of the optics. But um, at the same time, I don't I don't want to like make excuses for it. But it was it's part of Mexican wrestling. You know what I mean? Like it is part of the culture, what they do there. I think uh, some of the Exotico stuff also kind of falls under that sort of um, complex sort of uh, ideal. Like just because, you know, the Exotico stuff could really be seen as like a characterization of like LGBTQ characters and almost like poking fun at them and like exploiting it. But at the same time, there's those who kind of look at the Exoticos as being like icons of LGBTQism and um, sort of playing off the machismo in, you know, Latin culture. So it, it really can go both ways. It's kind of interesting. But um, as far as the actual match goes, I thought it was pretty good. It did have a lot of comedy, but for the high flying uh, stuff that they did, I thought it was pretty good, um, you know. Definitely, I mean, there was some of the domestic violence uh, mixed in there, and I mean, I'm, there's definitely some people that are not going to like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, but it's very similar to the whole Will Osprey be Priestley, like Mima Shimoda. She's a woman's wrestler. She knows how right. to do the bump, how to protect herself. Obviously, it was a plan spot. It wasn't like he really like hauled back and hit her. You want to know though? For me, even though I know Mima Shimoda, like LCO, she's like this legend. For some reason, to me, I see it a little different. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why B Priestley shows up in wrestling gear. Mima Shimoda's out there in, in civilian clothes. She's wearing like, not even like a, uh, I mean, she's definitely like a beautiful woman and she's like there as a valet, but she's not even like dolled up, like, you know, like Miss Elizabeth or anything. She's wearing a regular person's dress. Like someone you'd see on the street, someone that you'd like meet after church for like brunch or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She looks like a regular person. <laughs> And I know it doesn't make, I know they're both trained athletes, but the optics are different. When I see someone like, like B, when she got cuttered by Will and she's like dressed up in her gear, I'm like, that's a wrestler. And then I see like, you know, all Japan women's legend Mima Shimoda. I'm like, she's a civilian. He should not be hitting her. <laughs> she's a regular. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, uh, she took a uh, vertical suplex, which is also pretty impressive as well. Yeah. 
So yeah, a lot of cool spots, funny spots. Also, there. when did Akamura decide that he wanted to uh, lean into the Mortal Kombat Scorpion Sub Zero aesthetic? I don't remember him ever dressing like that. I guess prior. for guess for COVID, he's like, I'm gonna wear this mask. He's like, oh, I kind of like this. I'm, I'm gonna keep it. <laughs> that can't be true because I tried training in a mask and it, it's unbearable. It's the worst. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Dolce Cardenia picked up the win there. A um, couple other notable things. Um, during that eight-man tag with LIJ, I liked when um, the match itself was fine. I don't know. Dave gave it two stars. I don't know why. Well, that, that's <laughs> way too low. It, it was a fun eight-man tag. There was nothing on this show that was under three stars, in my opinion. Same here. You know, that that's where I'm at with it. But uh, I did like that Tanahashi, Oiwa, Kojima, and, and which... Shout out to Kojima back in, you know, we haven't seen him since Wrestle Kingdom. Um, they all dressed up with the same Ray Kometa face paint. So even though it's just kind of a nothing match, it's sort of memorable on this tour because all four of those guys had that, you know, matching face paint, which I, I dig that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, even Oiwa, the young lion coming out with the face paint as well. So that was kind of cool gelling that team uh, together there as they battled LIJ. Opener. Um, Yuto Nakashima got a submission victory over Kosei Fujita, which I thought was interesting considering the fact that he ha- hasn't had uh, TMDK to watch his back on this tour. Yeah, it kind of seems like his confidence a little bit shaken without Zach and Nichols and Hayes to kind of back him up. And obviously, you know, Zach's been teaching him all the, uh, you know, British submission holes and stuff like that. And so, yeah, didn't have that Zach influence here. So, yeah, Yuto was able to uh, get the win here. Um, but to me on this show, the stuff that was a bit higher in the like three and a half, three and, you know, somewhere between like three and a half and three and three quarter range, you had Soberano Jr. and Hechicero, um, as well as the other top two matches. Um, I liked this Soberano and Hechicero match because I felt like they were the top two guys performing on this tour that weren't, you know, the the big stars in Mystico and Atlantis Jr. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a... Um, a matchup of like your classic high flying star versus your Yave ground, you know, grounded like submission expert. And I was surprised they had a good match, but I was surprised to see Soberano Jr. tap out Hechicero on that night. Yeah, especially because, you know, Hechicero, he's kind of been built as this, you know, Yave expert. He was doing all those, you know, wacky Yave submission holes in that one six man tag that was really great on the tour. And so that was kind of built in here. And so you're thinking, yeah, you know, maybe Soberano's just going to hit, you know, one of his flips, you know, that springboard moonsault or one of his torneos to get the win. But, yeah, he out Yave, the Yave master here, and I uh, got the submission I, win. I think he just caught him unexpectedly, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think Soberano Jr., in my opinion, has the best torneo dive of anybody, including Vikingo. Yeah, dude, Soberano Jr. is so good. He's so smooth and the way he runs the ropes is just so unique, and yeah, his dives just are so crisp, and he nails them every time. Now, here's the only thing with that. We, in the past, have said things like this about him, and then when he got in the ring with other wrestlers, aside from working the Lucha style, that's where some of the trouble came along. He's definitely improved, but I think it will be interesting if he does return for, like, say, a Super Juniors to see where he's at at that point. Um the semi-main event was also really great. We talked about the six-man tag, and um, this was another one of those Ravelos and Increables matches. You had Despi, Templario, and Volador Jr. Uh, taking on Barbaro, Cabernario, Watto, and Ultimo Guerrero. And this was just like a really, really fun, high-energy spot fest. I didn't think it was quite as good as the um, 
six man tag, the one that that from two nights prior, the one where um, um, Doki picked up the big victory. But this was not far off from that, and I thought it was really cool to kind of see Volador and Desperado team together. Um, Cavernario, who is still super over with the Japanese crowd. Uh, I was reading a review and they were saying that his stars fallen just a little bit in recent times when it comes to uh, his work in CMLL, like he's still healthy and he can still go, but he, in the booking, he's kind of diminished a bit and he's not really being uh, positioned as like a top guy. And I think we saw a little bit of that uh, reflected here on this fantastic mania tour, but he's still so over with the Cork and Hall crowd that he mm-hmm. still kind of had to give him a bone. Same thing with Ultimo Guerrero, just one of the most over guys on the tour. So yeah, Ultimo Guerrero then, is probably like one of the most over guys in like Cork and Hall history. I mean, we had some probably. really, really packed Cork and Halls for this tour. And you know, he's out there, you know, raising the roof. They're raising the roof. Yeah, going wild. You would think every night he takes that uh, like leather dress off and then whacks somebody with it. You would think that they would wise up to his gimmick, but uh, I guess they don't. Yeah. And then um, Watto looked very comfortable here with these guys as well. So this that was really, 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 really fun. And then the main event, Mystico and Atlantis Jr., I thought that they had a very competent, um, you know, big match, st- abbreviated version of like a Arena Mexico big match, single fall. But um, I, the last time they were here, these two guys faced off at Cork and Hall on the tour. And I liked that match better than this one. Um, I thought this one hit some good notes, but I didn't think it got quite to that, like great status that we sort of expect from Mystico on the final night in Cork and Hall, you know? Yeah. To me, it seems like there was uh, some slight miscommunication between the two of them and some of the spots they were doing. And then too, this was kind of almost kind of like the Mystico show. I mean, Atlantis Jr. got some of his stuff in, but I feel like there was a long stretch where like Mystico was in control and he was just hitting dive after dive after dive and hitting all these like yeah. big moves on Atlantis Jr. Yeah, that stuff was awesome. It just didn't um, evolve into the struggle that I like to see in a big match like this, you know. And we didn't get the legendary, you know. Um, near fall spots that we're used to seeing with like say volador or mystico in this kind of spot generally speaking so uh again i thought the match was good um for me match of the night i don't know maybe that what did you think was match of the night did did you like the six man more did you like soberano and hechicero uh probably soberano and hechicero i think that's where i'm leaning to and um yeah, I think that's kind of what the the cage match ratings sort of reflect as well. So, and then uh, last thing I kind of noticed at the end of the night, they had a, a, all the guys, you know, come into the ring. They took their picture, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. They did a bunch of send offs, and every time they did a send off, you think the show's going off the air, but then like uh, Mystico just keeps coming back Bro, out. And <laughs> this man Mystico did not want to leave. It was like, dude, they play the his music, and they play the Fantastica Mania music, and they were playing yeah. like like the New Japan World music. And this man was still out there, still you know shaking hands, saying hi to fans, kissing babies, like just refusing to leave, just you know taking in all the cheers and adulation he could. Yeah, he was glad handing uh, the people. He really wanted to soak in that moment, and he definitely did. So, um, <laughs> I don't have any final thoughts. It's sort of a you know I thought it was a good fitting end for a pretty successful um, reintroduction of Fantastic Mania for both CML and New Japan. 
yeah, I think it was a great way to cap the tour off. And, you know, definitely if people are, if you want to cherry pick, I think you definitely check out the singles matches on this card, check out the six man tag. But yeah, a lot of fun stuff here. And, you know, we saw a lot of these guys too come back for the All Star Junior Festival, which will be the next thing that we talk about here. So uh, uh, let me do the rundown on this one. Um, so the, uh, on this night, the match order was determined by entrance music. And for the pre-show, we had a six-man tag team match. Uh, Kazuma Sumi, Soma Watanabe, and Yo defeated Akira Jumanji, uh, Fuminori Abe, and Ryo Hoshino. Um, the opener for the evening, we saw Makusa Fujita Hay- Hayato Jr. and Hiromu Takahashi defeat Hayata, Kazuki Hashimoto, and Yamato. Next matchup, we had Asami Kodaka and Mao. They defeated... On Rio and show. After that, we had Jun Kasai, Minoru Tanaka, Takamichinoku, Tatsuhiko, Tatsuhito Takaiwa, and Yoshinabu Kinemaro. They defeated uh, Chacharito Shoki, Kota Sekifuda, Leona Musashi, and Shoki Kitamura. After that, Hikaru, uh, Hikaru Sato, Rizuki Taguchi, and uh, Yumihito Imanari. They defeated Baten Bolat. Blah blah, the great Sasuke and Tiger's Mask. Following that, we had El Desperado and Volador Jr. in a um, triangle tag team match. They defeated the teams of El Lindeman and Yuki Ueno and Doki and Hanaoka. Um, next up, we had the uh, All Mask match, and the team of Alejandro, Billy Ken Kid, Gurken Mask, and Mystico defeated the team of Atlantis Jr., Black Mensa Ray. Bushi and Dragon Kid. Following that, we had a special singles match where uh, Shima defeated Kazuki Hirata. Uh, the semi-main event, we had a five-way match as Taiji Shimori defeated Ninja Mac, Shun Skywalker, Soberano Jr., and Yohei. And then in your main event, as uh, we, we joked last week wouldn't be the main event, but it, it absolutely turned <laughs> out to completely be the main event. Master Wato defeated Atsuki Aoyagi, 14 minutes and 24 seconds. And that is a lot of matches, a lot of names, and it is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The go big, ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, big all-star junior festival. I think what probably happened with the match card was, you know, Japanese got the message that it was supposed to be, you know, here's a card, but we're going to announce it, you know, match order by music, but it got into the English team. They probably went match by match order, and that's probably what happened there. So yeah, like you mentioned, Wato and Ayaka did ended up being the main event. But you know, overall, I thought this was a really fun show. Uh, you know, we had several uh, promotions that were included here that all sent juniors. You know, we had Active Advanced Pro Wrestling, All Japan, Big Japan, CMLL, DDT, Tradition, Dragon Gate, Gambari Pro, Glate. Uh, Kyushi Pro, Michinoku Pro, obviously New Japan, Osaka Pro, Pancrase Mission, Pro Wrestling Basara, Pro Wrestling Freedom, Pro Wrestling Noah, uh, Secret Base Zero One, uh, Pro Wrestling Just Tap Out, uh, Ryoku Dragon Pro, Wrestling of Darkness 666. So, you know, a lot of the promotions in Japan all sent their junior heavyweights for this Hiromu Takahashi produced uh, All Star Junior Festival, several multi man matchups, and you know, for a one night, you know, special pay per view, I, I thought it was very enjoyable. There's a lot of great high flying. I thought it had a, a perfect mix of, you know, your uh, your flying it had some comedy. Um, 
you had Jun Kasai in there. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff in there. Shima, you know, randomly appearing later on in the show for a match. So there's a lot of good stuff on this card. Yeah, I mean, um, I felt like as far as the idea uh, of what this was supposed to be, I mean, it, it, a lot of people wanted it to be similar in style to, like, say, a New Japan, or I'm sorry, a uh, Super J Cup or something along those lines. And this wasn't quite that. You know, this wasn't a tournament to determine the best. Uh, but what it was was, you know, a celebration and a coming together of, junior heavyweight wrestling across the border like across all company lines within japan and a celebration of what they represent and uh, i think i think that they hit they succeeded in portraying that to a t um there are some things i think they could have done differently because they did sell out fairly quickly i think they might have underestimated uh the potential demand domestically for a show like this and it might have even been better, hypothetically, to have done a slightly larger venue, um, yeah. just financially and commercially. But I don't know what kind of budget they had in general to begin with to even put on the show. You know what I mean? Right. Also, they, they used uh, New Japan production and New Japan world. But I don't know how much exactly New Japan was actually you know pouring into this. I believe LEC paid for the majority of the cost of the show, as opposed to like Bushi Road directly. Gotcha. Yeah. So I and I think that that helped a bit to include, uh, like, say Yamato and different people like that, because it was a true produce show. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, funded by Bushi Road, or at least that's my understanding of it. I could be wrong here. Um. Now you know we're gonna give you guys some of our thoughts and takes. Keep in mind, even though. You know, we're keeping a strong style. We cover New Japan. You know, we definitely try to the best of our ability to keep our finger on the pulse of the greater Perezu scene. It's nearly impossible <laughs> with this many individuals from this many different companies uh, for us to have intimate knowledge of all these different performers. Plus, because there, there were definitely people that caught my eye and I thought were impressive, but... It, it's hard for me to even keep straight who I liked, who I didn't like. Yeah, especially when you have a lot of mask guys out there that we're not familiar with. <laughs> yeah, um, that was definitely, and because yeah, a lot of them like looked similar in a, to a certain extent. So I'm like, which one's which? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, we can kind of give our, our quick thoughts on the show in general. Um, I mean, I what I liked about the show is each match sort of had a different function and feel. I think that those who probably are more familiar with the talent involved probably were able to look up and down the card and get an idea of what the show would feel and look like the same way like us. Like if we're going to like say a WrestleCon super show, we can look at the card and kind of get a a vibe and and a gist of what it is. But for me, as someone who was a little less knowledgeable um about all the performers i didn't know what to expect going into it but once the show kicked off i mean i figured i was even if i wasn't able to tell who everybody was all the time i i got the general gist of what they were going for with each match there seemed to be a different theme a different feeling and a different purpose to each match on the card which was nice 
Yeah, was, I think WrestleCon Super Show is a, a great kind of comparison because you know for those shows you have like your your lucha match or you know you'll have like your your hardcore match or your spot fest, your indie spot fest, your you know mm-hmm. your, your WWE former stars kind of thing. Like it's kind of structured for something for everybody. And I think that's kind of what it was here uh, for this mm-hmm. uh, All Star Junior Festival. Like you had like the the crazy like five way. Kind of quick style matchup. Then you had the lucha, uh, you know, the mask man, you know, lucha rules match, and right. Uh, then you had the comedy DDT style match with Shima and Harata uh, towards the end there, and then you know, kind of the bigger junior style main event with Wato and Aoyagi. Yeah, and um, aside from that too, the ten uh, man tag involving all the older juniors and some of the younger, uh, lesser known juniors. That was sort of like a uh shinjiro otani kind of memorial or like it was dedicated to him maybe even to inspire him in his recovery so that was kind of cool um the pre-show match was exactly what you would think it was it's a pre-show offer to kind of highlight guys that were sort of left off the card uh that main opener involving most of what i would say were quite a few of the bigger names especially in some of the bigger companies you had Hiromu and Amakusa and Fujita Hayato, Hayata, uh, Yamato. So that was like an all-star dream six-man tag, which I w- I'm a little surprised was the true opener of the show. Even though it worked as an opener, it could have easily been the show closer, and I kind of expected it to be. They they didn't quite go that way. Yeah, I thought, um, I thought it was going to be that way too, but I guess Hiromu wanted to be, I guess, unselfish booker here open the yeah. show and just kind of, you know, stay on commentary for the rest of the show. Even like the, uh, Asamo Kodaka Mao versus Onryo and show, which I think a lot of people kind of derided that was even still like leaning into the garbage and kind of like your lowbrow heel cheating shtick sort of match. So, I mean, you even had a little bit of that flavor here and then, um, the Hikaru Sato and Taguchi, six-man tag match that was straight up like absurdist comedy with dude i i had to skip through that one yeah that one i mean it was, that only was too, seven that minutes, was too so. much for me <laughs> <laughs> but i mean even that you had that there um and then um desperado and volador jr versus lindeman and yuki ueno and doki and hanuaka that was very lucha well they even announced that it was like a lucha, lucha style yeah. six-man tag so they, they kept it fluid and worked it very much Lucha style. So the whole night, you know, every even though it was junior wrestling, not only did you see power juniors and bruiser juniors and high flyers and technical guys and deathmatch guys and, you know, the grungiest of the grungiest and, the you know, the most talented and polished that there are, you got the full spectrum of, of junior talent in, new, you know, in Japan in general. But you also got a different style of working for each match on the night, which was uh, kind of refreshing. A um, couple of things I noticed, most of the match times were kept fairly short. This almost even felt like a little bit of a continuation in some regards to like Fantastic Mania, even though it's not like a Lucha style show, you know, it was still in Cork and Hall. It had short match times. It had a lot of, you know, names and faces that you're not, not so familiar with. And a lot of high flying felt very f- similar in that vein to a certain extent. Um, and then you even still had a lot of the same guys like Mystico and Atlantis Jr. and Volador involved in the show, anyways. Yeah. 
And I you know overall too, like this was a really just great crowd. Like you mentioned, with a pack sold out Cork and Hall crowd, and you know you had fans from every promotion that was there. So it, all guys were getting pops and cheers, and it was a really kind of educated fan base, and they were really into their you know their promotions guys, and everybody was getting really good. Uh, big reactions and they, they were you know popping and cheering for a lot of the great stuff so that really that environment really helped the show as well yeah another one of the surprising things is how much dragon gate representation was on the show with shun skywalker and yamato and there was someone else i can't recall because i'm not the biggest uh, dragon kid oh yeah, yeah well is dragon kid still with dragon gate right now i don't know i thought i mean i'm not i'm not the expert so i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but they typically are very isolationists and don't don't work with outside companies in almost any respect. I mean, I think they've um, they worked a show with like Noah this year, and I think they're doing something else with uh, I think Glate this year. But by and large, they typically don't work with the bigger companies, and so it was really cool to see their guys represented here. And every single one of them that were on the show really shined, even Yamato, um, who like is probably like Mr. Dragon Gate, if there ever was one, you <laughs> yeah. know, like the most decorated guy they probably ever had, and like the one who's most synonymous. But, um, you know, he's been, from what I understand, sort of like on the downturn over the past few years, and sort of like an uninteresting baby face. And um, I really liked kind of the build where he was sort of like, I mean, it wasn't even a build. It was pretty much shoot. He was really criticizing the show, saying he wanted nothing to do with it, yada, yada, yada. And then... You know, eventually they finagled their way to to get him involved on the show and to like have him on the same card against like Hiromu. That's like dream match territory. That was really really cool. There's just a lot of great stuff here. Uh, Fujita, uh, Junior Hayato, like him coming back after his health issues and ailments, and seeing him like on the same stage as some of the very very best juniors and showing that he's every bit. I mean. He could show he could like sleepwalk his way into a super juniors tomorrow and he would be you know he would fit in like a glove he's that talented yeah he's been grinding for a long time and it was good good seeing him get that big win in that opening uh six-man match up there i'll say that match was a lot of fun of course amasa amasa once again kind of the standout there of his uh his dives that he was doing in that matchup um yeah that's one thing I did want to say, even though everyone got a chance to like shine a little bit because the match times were so short, I don't know that there was anyone that really, to me, super stood out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there is that limitation because there's so many guys and there's so little opportunity um, on a show like this. Everyone just kind of had to like boom, 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 boom. And it's fun watching it, but you don't get the full experience or understanding of who these guys are you just get a little bit of a taste you know what i mean yeah i think probably the best match that really got a chance to show stuff from everybody was that five-way match with uh, ishimori defeating ninja mac and chen skywalker and silver jr and yohei like each one each one of those five guys definitely got a chance in that match to kind of shine and do uh, what they're known for um you know our boy ninja mac was out there uh killing it with his uh the, the ninja special that uh, crazy like uh you know cartwheel flipping over the top rope you know moonsault dive thing that he does um uh, Shin Skywalker you know I haven't seen a whole ton of him but he was he's really, great he was really impressive in this match as well yeah he was really impressive all five guys were super impressive in that one and that was a a great 
combination of speed and high flying and and high octane you know just everything um i almost kind of feel like the eight-man tag team match with the masked wrestlers because it was so historic could have possibly also headlined the show and Mm. maybe would have been a lot better if they'd been given more time i'd also make the same argument for the the opener with hiromu and them I feel like both of those matches, if they'd been given a bit more time, would have been even better. But, I mean, the idea that you got, like, you know, Mystico and Dragon Kid in the same ring against each other at the same time, who are two of the absolute most influential high flyers of of this past century, like, that's mind-blowing. And I don't think they've ever faced off against one another. And I kind of feel like they should have probably been given a bit more time, but... It was really cool to see all those masked wrestlers, like, you know, just, you know, mix it up with one another. Yeah, I mean, that's like a fire pro match. Like, you just hit random, like, you know, yeah. a bunch of times, and you get all these dudes in the match. And so, yeah, that was really cool to see. The, the only thing, I, the only criticism I would have is, again, that match felt like the Mystico All-Star show. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And very much like the night before, like, this guy was like, I'm getting all my shit in. <laughs> but here's the thing. He's on right now. Like, he's on, on. Like, it's been a, for, you know, a long time. Like, you didn't, like, you'd see, like, uh, Mystico and whatever other names he went under. Caristico. Caristico and Mysticis and yada, yada, yada. And he's had a lot of different names. But I'm glad he's just Mystico again because that's a lot <laughs> yeah. more simple for me. But, uh, you know, in the past... There are times where he was, like, good, but not, like, crisp. You know what I mean? Voldor has been like that, too, where you're like, I know he's great. It's Mystico, but he's not what he once was. But, like, lately, every time I see him, bro, he is, like, plugged in, dialed in. Like, he's on a different level right now. Yeah, I think he's definitely motivated again. I've been hearing that things in CMLL have been picking up. Uh, Crowd's been getting better. The booking's been picking up. Uh, coming out of COVID, and so yeah, he definitely seems motivated. Like you mentioned, out here doing, so, he did so many dives um, last night at Hescamania and this match as well. Um, so yeah, he looked really good here. The three way tag team match I thought was really good, and what what was interesting there was like Doki and Hanoaka teamed together for years in Mexico as part of like that opponents um, del Mal. Yeah. And so they worked that match in a way to where, like, the other two teams, which were, you know, just kind of thrown together, sort of worked like thrown together tag teams. But, like, Doki and uh, Hanoka teamed like a team that had experience. They had their double team stuff down mm-hmm. and, like, they were a bit more fluid. But, you know, ultimately they weren't over- able to overcome the dream team of Volador and Desperado, two guys that had been teaming the night prior at. Fantascomania in one of those, you know, Ravellos and, and Crieblas matches. So, yeah, it's been pretty interesting to see Desperado work with a lot of babies lately. I know he's kind of been more of a face leaning tweener, but I've seen him since the break from Suzuki Goon and the formation of Strong Style. It seems like he's obviously more on the babyface side. And so, yeah, working a lot, you know, Voldor on the Fantascomania tour, then teaming with Voldor here. It's kind of an interesting dynamic to see here couple things that I do want to criticize. Um, that tag team match with Mao, Asami uh, Kodaka against Onryo and Sho, that kind of sucked. Like, yeah, th- it, it had its moments. Yeah. But once... Oh, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, it ended in the DQ. Yeah, it ended in a DQ, and it kind of devolved into, like... 
I mean, um, I don't know all the characters that well, but Onryo is like a undead. He wears a bunch of like uh, powder or yeah. ectoplasm. <laughs> You know, like, I, I'm not so much with the spooky shit. I, I think it was fine that they had one big gimmick on the show with him, so that's fine. But the, for instance, like, Mao seemed to be someone that I thought was very impressive, and it kind of sucked that he was, like, sort of saddled in this particular match. Show seemed super disinterested, <laughs> uh, you know. And then it ended with him ended up working against his own partner and those three guys going against him. And then he got himself DQ'd. And I'm like, I don't know the the spirit. I, I get it. You know, you want to have a little bit of everything on the show, but the spirit of the show is supposed to be the best of the best. And this could have been the pre-show match and they should have had yo and all those other young guys in this spot. That would have been better. Yeah, because that pre-show match was really good. You had a lot of the young, really li- young lions from different promotions there uh, teaming up, and Yo was in there, and it, it was those guys were fired up. They were like hit, hitting each other hard, hitting a lot of big moves in that opening match, and so yeah, that would have been much better um, on the main card. And yeah, throw Show and that DQ finish on the pre-show. That comedy six-man tag in the middle of the show was just the drizzling shits. Like, um, yeah, I don't even know what to think about that, and. Like, I understand Great Sasuke does comedy these days, and he's got the monk gimmick, and obviously we know what Taguchi's about. Um, but I don't know if this is something, like, this, just for some context, if you haven't seen it, Hikaru Sato, Rizuki, Taguchi, and Yumihito Imanari, they came out dressed in some sort of, like, sexy, like, revealing sweater attire and, like, just, like, thong underwear underneath it. And, yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that was about. <laughs> like, just for, for some context here, and I know Carl Sato does do some comedy stuff. I'm not, like, the biggest or most knowledgeable person when it comes to him, but, like, just so it makes sense, he's from Pancrase Mission. He is the co, like, head person of Pancrase Mission with Minoru Suzuki. They're, like, partners, and they've been working together in various companies for years and years and years. And he's like a shooter. He's like a badass shooter type dude. Like he normally wears like the kind like grapplers, um, like tights and like kick pads, kind of like like a Mike Bailey type character. So this was really sort of jarring to me. What? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Jarring is a perfect word for for, for this whole match. <laughs> right. And um, you know, I know you mentioned that, that the Shima match was like DDT comedy. This was like the worst of DDT comedy or probably some other companies that we don't even follow or know about, but I don't know why that was even on the show to be, to be honest, it, it kind of sucked. Well, I, I guess there's, there's a fan base for that style of matchup and those, those guys. And it, it seemed like people enjoyed it, but it, it, it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. You can miss me with that. Um, it was cool. Shima being on the card. I don't think that that was announced or expected. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Cause, uh, well, first of all, the Harata, his music hit nobody expected him. He came out, he was doing his dancing gimmick and well, you know, the, the deal is his dancing gimmick. It, like he made his career doing a parody in the early days of Magnum Tokyo and Magnum Tokyo was on commentary watching him dance which was like already kind of mind-blowing to people because that's like his inspiration and the guy he directly parodied and then in comes shima who wasn't supposed to be on the show as well and shima and magnum tokyo were like early early rivals from like uh you know the t2p and the um 
what, what's the earlier company before Dragate? What's wrong with me? Uh, well, I'm blanking on two. Um, what's wrong with Toriumon? Yeah, that's right, Toriumon. Yeah. Yeah. So then, like, that's that's what the whole like bizarre aspect of it. It's like Shima, who feuded with Magnum Tokyo, is coming in to fight the guy that copied Magnum Tokyo in front of him as he's like on commentary. So there was like a whole backstory there. And I, I'm not the biggest like Toriumon T2P Dragon Gate guy myself. I, I mean, not that I don't like it. I just there's so much lore. I don't know it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that got a big pop. And yeah, people weren't expecting either of those guys. And Shima came out. And that was kind of a fun match. And there was a part in the match where Shima ended up got the glasses. And both of them did the dance together. They did the Magnum Tokyo dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Um, and then, you know, just to cap it off, Watto, who I don't know if, you know, we necessarily expect him to be in the main event. But, uh, you know, to see him go up against uh, Aoyagi, I believe he's from what All Japan, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of wanted Aoyaki to pick up the, <laughs> the big win here. But um, I feel like this was a, a good thing to sort of, uh, you know, kind of give Wato a little bit of a push and add a boy. You know, he's been he ate a big loss to Ishimori recently that I was a little surprised about. So to see him be the, the guy standing tall at the end of the night on this show was pretty cool. Yeah, and also I think it's yeah a cool kind of thing. You know, he's a young guy; they're trying to get him over, so they kind of give him him this big kind of spotlight moment on this junior festival where there are several guys who probably could have, could have, and should have made a minute over him, but they gave him the spot here. And Bro, you know, a lot. I mean, Jun Kasai, Mystico, Dragon Kid, Yamato, <laughs> Hiromu Takahashi, Desperado. Like you know, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of big names on the show. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I, mean, I thought it was a good match. I thought Wato looked really good here. Uh, you know, they got um, Aoyagi got a lot of heat on him. He was mocking Wato throughout the match as a way of the grandmaster pose and uh, kind of cutting him off and kind of getting some jeers from the crowd, trying to get the, ca- the crowd uh, behind him. And I think Wato, you know, I think especially coming off of Fantastic Mania, a lot of confidence, a lot of, um, you know, just really on his game here, looking really, really crisp, and he was able to hit the uh, Recidimente, uh 2 to get the win here. Yeah, I thought this match was very solid. Uh, no down points. They hit a lot of great high spots. Uh, Aoyagi, super crisp, very, very fast. And Wato's looking more and more confident and comfortable in there each and every day. And I thought he looked, I thought he did a good job. Um, I don't know if this was like the blow away singles match at the top of the card that you would have probably hoped it could have been. But it, it, I mean, nothing on the show really was blow away. Um, so, I mean, that's the only real detracting thing I could say about it. But oh, it was a good main event for the show. And, you know, with them going 14 minutes, I mean, they they, they did a, they had a great match. So, yeah, uh, we had a few questions here. A uh, friend of the show, Zach Porter, says, what was your favorite match from the All-Star Junior Festival? You know, um, I think for me, it's probably the opener of the evening, not the pre-show match, but the one with the big stars. Amakusa, Fujita, Hayato, and Hiromu taking on Hayata, uh, Kazuki, Hashimoto, and Yamato. And I really liked when uh, we got to see uh, Fujita and uh, I believe it was Kazuki, Hashimoto, like the two big brawling guys just like <laughs> go at it, which was really cool. Yeah. Or maybe, the, maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like to see Yamato mix it up with like Hiromu. I mean, there's just a lot of cool stuff in there. 
Yeah, uh, for me, my favorite match was the uh, the five way of uh, Ishimori, Ninja Mac, Shin Skywalker, Sobran Jr., and Yohei. That was a lot of. Fun. I think that's most people's match of the night. Yeah. There. Um, aside from that, there was an announcement on the show. Oh yeah. Rocky Romero showed up and he congratulated everybody in the evening and you know wished he could be there, but he did announce that the All Star Junior Festival is coming to North America. Yeah, well, he 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 asked Hiromu to to bring it to to America. bring it there. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. So who knows what that means? Like, is that going to be like domestic guys coming over mixing up with the best North American juniors? Is it going to be the same, or is it going to be like, you know, the best juniors in North America and they have like AEW, Impact, New Japan Strong, uh, MLW, you know. NWA, you know, Tampa Bay PWG, Pro, Tampa Bay Pro, <laughs> list goes on and on. You know, well, you know, um, what was it? What was the promotion you wrestled for? Oh, uh, GUW, <laughs> GUW, all the heavy hitters. Uh, Rocky did Sai Dojo. <laughs> Rocky did mention on Observer Radio or Live that you know during you know G one time more juniors will be coming into to the states for the New Japan of America pay per view. So. Maybe during G one time, that's when we'll, that's when we'll get this All Star Junior Festival. Get some you know domestic New Japan guys, and then uh, New Japan foreigners, and then yeah, like you mentioned AW Impact. I'm sure you can get CMLL guys over here as well. Ring of Honor, yeah, ROH, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of options there. I mean, even they could even probably get some of those like uh, some of the UK guys over too. Yeah, who knows? Call Vince, see what's up. With him. <laughs> Is there anybody know. that you would legitimately want from WWE in, in a junior festival? Yeah, of course there is. I mean, I don't watch WWE, but I mean, they've got... Well, I guess if, you get Mysterio. In a perfect world, do they have people over there that I would like to see in a junior festival? Sure. Ricochet. Dude, I, I, I forgot he was still there. <laughs> Johnny Gargano. Uh, Pete Dunne. Um... Who's the other uh, Tyler Bate? Dude, I forget the Ray embar- Mysterio the, Jr. The embarrassment of riches they have on their roster. I hear about like none of those guys. Like Ray, right. Ray's like the only guy that I hear about. But if, the- but if we're in a you know this nebulous hypothetical world where um you know like juniors from WWE were allowed for whatever you know reason to come over, they got a lot of really great guys. I just. I was just joking, but I hadn't given much thought to it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Prince Devitt. Yeah, uh, Devitt. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to look at their oh the the main roster. Uh, uh, Akira Tozawa. Tozawa yeah. <laughs> um, the list. Cedric Alexander's there. Chad Gable's there. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of names. Yeah, dude. They just man, so much talent gone to waste over there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, Zach also asked: Is Kevin Kelly always this insufferable on commentary? I'm a little surprised for a couple reasons. Number one, um, Zach is typically a more positive individual than this, so I'm surprised to, to hear this negativity coming from my dog. <laughs> but number two, I, I have to imagine that Zach. Unless, do you think, I mean, Zach, I know that he doesn't watch New Japan regularly currently. He's watch, He's more of like a Noah fan right now. Is, and probably some Joshi shit. Stardom, yeah. Stardom and everything like that. But um, 
I, I assume when he was watching New Japan, he watched Kevin Kelly, unless he was just always watching it with, you know, Japanese subtitles. I guess I need to ask him that. I don't, I don't know. But, um, I mean, I think Kevin's the best commentator in the world, even if I have a, a rare criticism um, here and there. I think he's generally great. But on this night, he, this was not his wheelhouse. Yeah, I was talking to Zach a little bit about this um, yesterday when we were watching Revolution. Um, and I think, yeah, part of it, too, was just obviously, like you mentioned, Kevin, this is a nice wheelhouse. So he didn't really come with a ton of notes or was super prepared. He, he kind of let Chris Charlton kind of do more of the the fact and knowledge of the backstory of these guys. And he just kind of, he was more of kind of the color, kind of just chiming in on what he was seeing in the ring. Well, I think, I think he tried. They, they gathered um, resources and notes from people that are knowledgeable on these various companies. But I mean, bro, it's like 20 plus companies, you know, however many people it, it, it's difficult. <laughs> Yeah, it's very hard for him to like come in there and to fully know everybody and get everybody's you know background story correct. Oh, here's another weird thing too. <laughs> During that ten man tag honoring um, Otani, Leona, who is the biological son of uh, Tatsumi Fujinami, he looks like a pudgy um, Otani. It was weird as fuck. <laughs> like, why, why, why did, if his dad's Fujinami, why does he look so much like Shinjiro Otani? It's super weird. Maybe there's some uh, funny business going on there. Maybe it's just me. I don't know if anyone else ever <laughs> noticed this. I've never watched Leona wrestle before, but I was like, why does he look like Otani? It's fucking weird. <laughs> uh, then uh, Hawaiian Punch BB says, Hiromu put Wato in the main event. Does this mean he sees Wato as the one who takes the title off him? How strong is the Recidamente legend has it that Atsuki is still fucked up in Corken Hall? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that they probably have hopes and aspirations that Wato will be a top junior. But then again, I think they had those same feelings for Sho and Yo, and I, I don't know why they're, what they're waiting for. You know, I think that that's a problem with New Japan is... Um, they, they they take too long to pull the trigger on guys and sometimes it's too it's too late you know yeah so yeah man maybe yeah maybe i don't know if it was just fully her own i don't know if maybe new japan management was like you know do us a favor and highlight wato but um i, I think it was good that he did get get a little bit of highlight here which move of his is the recitamente so that is the um that small package or not the uh, that backslide driver move he does backslide driver are you talking about the crucifix bomb pin that he yeah, does yeah yeah okay i was like backslide driver okay gotcha yeah i think that moves pretty great yeah he got super air on on this one yeah so um yeah i think it's a good move i think it's uh it's getting over in kayfabe so yeah it's good and he also asked are there any asjf participants that you like to see more of would you like to see Hananoka in a Fantastic Mania tour. I thought the dude was funny AF. Vegeta Jr. Hayato versus Hiromu sounds like it's happening. Would you like to see Vegeta in Best Super Juniors if his doctor allows it? You know, to me, and I don't mean to be critical, I thought Hanaoka kind of came off as like a shindy, grungy type of guy that maybe I don't necessarily need to see <laughs> on a Fantastic Mania tour. Like, uh, he represents the other Lucha. 
<laughs> not the one happening in in arena mexico every friday night like the that, other that literally that doki was doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i just i don't believe in backsliding it's only onwards and upwards for doki we don't need the individuals from his past coming back influencing him poorly trying to get him to do tours in mexico wrestle on the dirt floors like he doesn't need that okay he needs the types of friends that lead him to the top, like Taka Michinoku, Tai Chi, and uh, who else? Kanemaru. <laughs> and, and Kanemaru, okay? All, you know, domestics only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I did think there were, there were definitely people that, I mean, there were definitely people that I thought were really great. Um, Yuki Ueno was was awesome. El Lindemann is always amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, great to see all the high flyers: Alejandro, Gherkin Mask, Lincoln Kid, uh, Shun Skywalker. I mean, there's just a lot. But the, the the thing is, for me, with this show, I just don't have the time to go chasing down secret base shows. You know, right? Yeah, I, I don't have time to go through the back channels to find Michinoku pro tapes. You know, it's just not going to be feasible for me to watch 666. Yeah, I'm not trying to pull up, you know, Pancrase Mission when there's in the middle of the New Japan Bro, Cup. Pancrase Mission's not a promotion. It's just like a... <laughs> they don't run shows. <laughs> they're just a group of guys that just... They're like, we're Pancrase Mission. Like, Suzuki's Pancrase Mission. <laughs> you don't run a promotion. Yeah, they're shit stupid. But yeah, um, I mean, I mean, there's several talented guys here that, if they had a chance to bring in Super Juniors, I mean, you know, definitely some of the guys from that five way. Um, I would love to get Ninja Mac um, in a Super Juniors. Um, Shun Skywalker would be great in a Super Junior. Uh, talked about Soberano Junior already. I think you know he's made a lot of improvements. I think he could be better um, this go around as well. So yeah, I think a lot of those young guys in that pre-show showed a lot of promise and you know raw talent and upside yeah so yeah it'll be interesting to try and follow some of those guys development and see where they go from there because yeah also a lot of young boy young lions young guys and so uh yeah they had a lot of fire and think they could be uh potentially stars in the future so uh that's gonna wrap up our talk on the all-star junior festival let's move on now to the new japan cup 2023 so we had a uh, night one of the tour and the tournament kicking off on march 5th in cork and hall once again uh, another packed cork and hall crowd here for this opening night of the tournament uh, we had uh, TMDK, Kosei Vegeta, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Oiwa and Tamatonga. We had Wato, Deguchi, Narita, and Umino defeating the House of Torture. The Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, Gato, and Kenta defeated Strong Style of Desperado Suzuki, and they were teamed up with Yuto Nakashima. Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo defeated Leo Rush, Toriano, and Yo. Then we had Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi defeating Tanahashi, Okada, and Hanma. And then we had our two New Japan Cup first round matchups that close off the show in the semi-main event spot. We had Tetsuya Naito defeating El Phantasmo, 17 minutes, 32 seconds. And then the main event, we had Sonata defeating Taichi, 24 minutes and 27 seconds. 
full disclosure, I did not watch all of this show. I have seen the tournament matches, which I think is where most of our attention needed to kind of be. But um, was there anything on the undercard that, you know, you thought was like, obviously, I don't think there was any like top tier matches or anything, but was there any, uh, you know, story developments or anything that we need to take note of before we talk about these uh, New Japan Cup matches? Uh, nothing too big. I mean, it's kind of the stuff that they've been doing. You also see Zach and Vegeta, you know, Zach, you know, showing Vegeta different holes there in that matchup, getting the win there. Um, they're previewing some of the New Japan Cup matches coming up. You know, they've been kind of building some stuff with Narita and Evil for their uh, first round match coming up. Um, you got Chase back on the tour. Uh, Gato is still at this, at this point still rocking the you know Jay White switchblade shirt and had the switchblade uh, necklace thing. Uh, they say I miss you, King. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, then yeah. Then also they're previewing uh, Leo Rush and Hiromu. Leo Rush is on the, this whole tour, so he'll be in multi man matches facing off Hiromu until we get to the the final night of the tour, where him where he challenges for the junior title. So that interaction was good as, there as well. And then they previewed the uh, tag title match. In that six man, where the uh, you know that great never six man team of Goto Ishii and Yoshihashi, uh, they they rode strong again here, and they defeated the Mega Aces and Hanma, which uh, you know would be signs to come <laughs> for the uh, Mega Aces. Nice. Yeah. So uh, the first uh, New Japan Cup match. Let's talk about this with uh, Tasia Naito defeating El Fantasmo. You know, last week, uh, me, you, Chris, I think we we had um, some long expectations here for ELP. We thought we saw in the tea leaves that he'd be getting, you know, the big uh, rocket strapped to his back, getting the big pusheruni here. But I never said that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you're laughing. I literally don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm pretty sure I picked Naito to win this tournament. You did? No, I'm just almost sad. No, I'm just playing. Um, you know, last week we did a good job previewing the cup and everything, but it, like we mentioned, this was one of the hardest tournaments that they've done in years to really get a true read on where it's going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think it's proving to kind of play out that way. So I, I think that we tried our best to book out what we expected might happen but we also had that caveat that like we didn't feel super strong or confident or comfortable really about any of the picks that we had placed last week you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. we had questions about this match when it comes to phantasma naito where we were like you know it does it would in other years make sense for someone like elp to kind of go through there there were some tea leaf signs there the fact that bull club is kind of leaderless right now and he seems to be a guy that could you know be lined up for that position and the the route he would have had to go through in the tournament it kind of seemed to lend itself to that sort of narrative but then last week i asked the very important question i said but naito just beat kijibuto in the in the tokyo dome and is he going to turn around and job to elp and that's where we were all like that's a tough call but at the same time Naito's dropped the first round match in the the New Japan Cup many a time, and it makes sense from a booking perspective when you do that because it's like if he's building up momentum and then loses deeper into the tournament, it's a bigger loss. Whereas on the first night 
against a name opponent, he can eat that loss, kind of just be out of the narrative altogether. And it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. By the time the tournament's over, you forget that he even had that loss to begin with. So I did think it was plausible, but now that the, the match has happened, it's starting to feel as though with this combined with the big win that he just had recently against um, Kijimuto, as well as the big win that he had uh, on Wrestle Kingdom Night 2, that they might really be gearing Naito up for a mega run here in New Japan. And I know, I know that there are those fans who last year were saying the same thing, but with no actual like reason to be saying it <laughs> other than the fact that like him and Okada promised, some, <laughs> you know, they made some promise a long time ago that they're going to fight in the Tokyo dome again. And they're, and there are people that were cleaving to that for dear life. Um, I know that that existed, but this actually does just looking at the track record, big win, big win. I'm not saying he's going to win the cup, but, it does kind of feel like they're gearing him up for something. Yeah, and you got to think, you know, what's the current Genesis coming up on April 8th in Sumo Hall. Like, it's it's a big show. They're going to want to sell that building out and draw a lot of tickets. And obviously, you, you do want to elevate new people, but you also have to sell tickets and draw. And uh, you, you can draw big still with Okada Naito, the two top guys in the promotion, you can sell out and do a big house with those guys in the main event. Yeah, possibly. If they decide to go that way, they might not. But, I mean, even still, let's say they don't, but you end up with uh, a big name like Naito going into the finals. They've got that big show in Nagita um, for the finals anyways. So it does make sense from a from just a business perspective to keep Naito on the tour in a big spot regardless, because that was one of the, the questions we had looking at the brackets last week. We were like, yeah, there are people you could have win, but who do we actually see as being capable of drawing a big house against Okada, you know? Right. And there were only a couple names that realistically fit that bill. And Naito's definitely one of them. So um, as far as the match goes, um, I thought that this was really good. Um, I mean, I thought that this was a great opportunity for ELP to sort of show his main event chops. And I think he did that here. Um, to a certain degree, this felt more like an actual coming out party than some of the matches he had in say like the G1 this past year, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I was as into the whole mocking of each other's, um, you know, gimmicks and signals and, and, poses, and yeah. poses. I mean, that stuff's good. I like showmanship, but they, that was a major story in the match. ELP did so much of it that I, I don't know. It was a little, uh, it was a bit much for me. Well, I felt Naito did to me. I felt Naito did it more, which at that time I was like, Oh, well ELP is going to win. Cause Naito is not taking him seriously. Because all ah. throughout the match, Naito was doing the, the, the head banger, you know, arm, you know, thing all throughout. And ELP would get mad and, like, throughout the match and attack him and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, well, that's going to be Naito's downfall. He's going to do it one too many times. And he's probably going to eat, like, the sudden death or, you know, the CR2. And that's how ELP's going to win. But that's not what happened. Yeah. 
but as far as like in-ring performance, ELP did a lot of the great high-flying stuff that we're known to see him from top rope moonsault to the floor, you know, um, big super kicks, um, frog splash, Inziguri, tornado DDT, uh, Frankensteiner. So, I mean, he, the lung blower, he hit a lot of really cool flashy moves that I thought sort of, um, brought, I mean, I, I don't want to say brought Naito up because I mean, it's Naito, but we've noticed recently that when he's wrestling someone that's, um, a little bit more fit, a little bit more active, he steps his game up to kind of, you know, be on their level. And I felt like Naito was doing a bit of that here. Um, I don't want to oversell this and say like, this was a, the, the greatest match ever or anything. It, it's probably still like, I don't know, four stars, but that's a really good start for when we were talking last week, I was looking at the, the, the first round and I was like, what are the, out of all these matches, what do you actually want to see? And there's <laughs> very few that I thought were going to produce fireworks. And I thought this match was very good. Um, ultimately, you know, unfortunately, uh, ELP was unable to get the big win and Naito, you know, Destino, and then later on the roll up and, you know, he picks up the one, two, three here. So he kind of goes on. It's a little bit status quo, but, um, you know, this company is not one to make usually, unless the name is evil, they're not really willing to <laughs> go with the monster, you know, push in this tournament for whatever reason. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, but th- I think the one good thing here for ELP was, you know, he didn't eat a Destino. He did get rolled up um, after mm-hmm. Naito dodged a super kick. So, you know, it was, it was a roll of victory. It wasn't a, a definitive win here. And also, yeah, you wouldn't call it decisive, right? And, and the Cork and Hall crowd was super hot. They were really behind ELP. Got a lot of big uh, ELP chants throughout the match. Yeah, dueling chants throughout the match. So he's definitely getting over. Uh, the New Japan fans really like him, and so uh, this could be, you know, potential signs into a big push. And we even had a question here from Oscar Rooney, and he says ELP Bayface run in the foreseeable future with some of the recent. Um, development as it pertains to the Bullet Club, uh, absolutely. I think that's on the the table. Um, I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I don't want to get our hopes up too much, but I think that that is definitely a way they could go. Yeah, I think we saw with ELP before he joined Bullet Club and was in Rev Pro. Uh, he was a Bay Face over there, and you know we thought initially when we heard the rumors that he was going to be coming over as as a Bay Face, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of surprising as well how flashy he wrestles. So, I mean, you look at his style and you, you turn him babyface, I think that could be something cool to do. Yeah, uh, total agreement there. Um, nothing really to add, but it seems like they might be going that way. Yeah. So, then the, the main event, uh, Sonata defeating Taichi, uh, had a story here. You know, obviously, Sonata's been on a losing streak, um, has had, you know, really low momentum coming into this tournament. And, you know, we've been kind of trying, everybody's been trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with this guy? What's the story? What's his motivations? And uh, we kind of saw that story play out here in the, in the match. Uh, tai Chi was very dominant in, in the early part of the match and was just really beating down Sonata and, you know, yelling at him, kind of, you know, come on, where's your fighting spirit? Are you going to fight back? Um, which that, that led to, um, you know, Sonata really flipping a switch here and showing a, a different side of himself. Yeah, I've never really been a big 
fan of the Sonata Tai Chi matches. Um, they, I think over the years, they've gotten better as time has gone on. They've gotten more and more comfortable. But as you mentioned, this match was a bit of a departure from the, the standard formula that we're used to seeing from these two guys, the, the, the roles that they usually fit into. And, you know, that, that fits into the bigger, greater narrative that we're seeing play out as it pertains to Sonata and his status in the company as it pertains to like, you know, is he, because up to now for a while, he was sort of just like a mid Carter to upper mid card guy. He was kind of brushing for a few years there against greatness when he was feuding with Okada and kind of challenging in this tournament to win the tournament and, you know, challenging for the title. And then his G one run where he was chasing Okada and he even got to a, a, a G one final. So at one point it really did feel like he was on the verge of potentially breaking through that glass ceiling and being a bit higher, maybe not like a top, top guy, but like maybe along the same lines as like uh, a Zack Sabre jr or something of that nature, but yeah. he's really diminished over the, especially over this uh, pandemic era as time has gone on, you know, and not just from a, uh, in-ring perspective, but character wise, like he's really diminished. I mean, it's been a long time since we see him in a top spot. He did have that one title shot. Uh, who was that against Sabushi a couple years ago? Yeah, I think so. And, um, that was sort of underwhelming and now he's been on a losing streak over the past few months and it's really been called into question what is his purpose in in lij does he still deserve to be part of this group like what needs to change with him as a character does he even have a a spot here in new japan moving (laughs) forward you know and this is this is the genesis of whatever the shift is going to be yeah, and I thought it was very interesting how it all played out. You, you had um, Tai Chi was like no selling a lot of his fancy moves, like, like that big um, his big drop kick. Like Tai Chi brushed it off the plunge to the outside. Tai Chi just kind of shook it off and was you know laying in the quad kicks, the big strikes, uh, you know dropping him with like, the dangerous suplex and just really kind of taking it to him um, until Sonata you know finally fired up. He was hitting a lot of uh, big. European uppercuts, a lot of, you know, t- giving, you know, Tai Chi back some of the boots to the face, uh, big ro- rolling elbows, and then um, finally able to hit um, big t- t- TKO. He, he did one of the best skull ends I think I've seen where he really had that neck crank really tight in, and it looked like Tai Chi was uh, going to pass out from that. Um, so, yeah, a lot of really good back and forth. Uh, so not even hitting um, Tai Chi's uh, Black Mephisto uh, for a near fall. Um and then he busted out this new, I don't know what he calls it, but it was almost like a Blade Runner into a yeah. DT. So, yeah, really good match here. Very, very good. Uh, one thing from a story narrative that I thought was kind of interesting in the early going, like you mentioned, uh, Tai Chi was sort of the one that was kind of in control early on, and it seemed like Sonata was holding back. And as they were brawling on the outside and like Tai Chi was really leaning into his vicious side and exposing the floor and going for DDTs and stuff, it kind of like ignited a fire in Sonata and where Sonata was like, all right, fuck this. I'm just going to like be savage here. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he did that um, pile driver on the outside. And that kind of seemed to 
be the impetus for this shift that we saw during the match where he was more, you know, physical and kind of vicious throughout the match. And I, I thought that this was really great. I liked it even more than the uh, ELP uh, Naito match. I'd probably go like four and a quarter on it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I'm not in that four and a quarter. I was even potentially even thinking four and a half. I, mean, I thought it was really hard hitting. It's all a really great story there. And um, Sonata, this is the kind of stuff that we've been, you know, saying about him. We, we want to see this fire and, and, you know, that the more hard-hitting and more kind of a gritty style. And they kind of turn what we've been saying into a story here. I thought it played out really well. Well, this new uh, quasi-possible finisher that he has that's almost like a, you know, Jay White-style Blade Runner, um, that could be a indicator of things to come for him in this tournament. And I like the beginning here because we've got – Naito and Sonata, two guys, stable mates, poised to go, you know, to potentially face off against one another in this tournament now. And both of them are credible challengers if heated up correctly. And I think they're doing the right things just based on this match alone. They're doing the right things with Sonata so far to maybe get him ready for a title shot if that's what they're looking to do in this tournament. And, you know, there's backstory and history with those two guys and it's inter uh you know uh interfactional sort of thing but one thing i noticed is at the end of the the match we saw where sonata and um taichi shook hands and gave each other respect and they have feuded over the years in various different tag scenarios you know uh, originally it was like lij against suzuki goon and we saw like evil and sonata team teaming up against um, Tai Chi and various other people. And then later on, like against uh, him and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Dangerous Techers, we saw like Naito and, and Tai Chi, or I'm sorry, Naito and Sonata team up against them. And so we've seen them in various different tag feuds as well as like off branched off like singles feuds. And these guys have always seemed to have like this kind of respect and like, camaraderie with one another i am wondering if this is potentially leading to him being the front man of just four guys yeah we have a question here from oscar or okay okay 90 saying where do you think the sonata storyline is heading could he be just the fifth guy well did you notice he didn't uh speak on the mic after he declined to speak on the mic and walked to the back instead yeah, and you know, that could play you, know, you were saying you know earlier when just four guys kind of format formate uh when they formed that, you know, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the final stage of this group that it, it's probably going to change. Um, and so maybe that is leading to kind of what you were saying earlier. Maybe yes, Sonata does kind of become the front man for this group and they, they become just five guys, I guess, or, or change it to whatever they're going to call it. Um, but that could be a, a vehicle for Sonata to do something different here. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's definitely a possibility while, there are probably those listening who really would love for Tai Chi to be that guy. And I hear you. Um, I think we've even gone as far recently when he was feuding with uh, Osprey to say, like, there really isn't a reason that you could potentially put him in a role like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, or even elevate him. Actually, I think the stronger thing is definitely he's in a position where he could be elevated, be called upon to be, not a top like main eventer in, in the company, but like um, 
someone that's probably in that like icy sort of you know even though there is no icy title i i see him as being capable now of ascending to an icy secondary role with yeah. taiji but i don't know if i see him as being like a front man for a faction and while i i, I don't know if i would necessarily say that sonata should be that guy it's going to take something. We've talked about it for years. He can't just always be second fiddle in LIJ. The same, you know, and this was the conundrum with Evil as well when he split off. Uh, if they see anything in him, he's not a young guy necessarily. He does have good looks and he has the athleticism. And when he's motivated, he can really be a top notch wrestler. Um, I don't know if he has the personality to be the top, the, the front man for a group, but well, um, I think the thing that will help him though is Taka. I mean, Taka is doing a majority of the talking for this group. So if you have Sonata wrestling the way he wrestled in this match, and then you, you let Taka do all the talking, that could be a pretty interesting combo right there. Well, I don't want to um, impose like my perceptions of him onto him because it, some of this could be cultural as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we don't read like sonata's blogs i i have access to like the diaries but i don't, I don't read that shit to me i don't even know if it's real it seems like type <laughs> <It's a shit>. work. <laughs> yeah but um you know whenever he is interviewed outside he seems like really personable he's got like this stylistic flair you know mm-hmm. and then he comes out in the same gear and he does the same stuff and he he seems so like blah and I'm wondering if we could get a little bit of that flair that we see in his everyday normal outside of wrestling type of persona, then I might feel a little differently here. But um, if they do think that there's upside in potentially pushing him, he might be the guy you want to put in charge of just five guys or whatever you want to call that group. Yeah. And uh, okay, okay, 890 also asked, if Sonata wins New Japan Cup, does he need to beat Okada? Um, that's a tough question because to me, I don't see him beating Okada, but he's challenged Okada after the New Japan Cup and failed before. Last year, Zack Sabre did the same thing and failed again. So it might get to the point where we're falling into those ghetto traps where he's booking similar things that he's booked in the past with the same outcomes, and that's not necessarily fun or exciting or elevating but there is a way you could hypothetically book it to where he still loses and gets over and you know has another chase in him and everything like that but i mean it's starting to feel that way for everybody that faces okada that like they all kind of need to beat him but they all don't beat him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, and the thing is, he's kind of on a whole other level right now with the whole kind of like jumbo, you know, personality that we're talking about. This kind of final boss thing, and with his, you know, his whole like Enoki finishing combo with the insecurity and the Cobra Flosion and the landslide. Like he just has this ultimate kill combo right now, where it just feels like he's untouchable. I guess the fear would be you put Sonata in charge of a group, right? He wins the cup, challenges for the title. And then he fails. And then from there, you've already started the the group with a guy who is admittedly capable of leading a group, but doesn't really have the track record behind him. It doesn't, and, and he's coming off of a huge failure. 
you'd have to have some creative booking following that to keep the the group viable you know so it's uh it's kind of a delicate balancing act but um i'll tell you what me personally if he wins the tournament i don't see him beating okada even if he needs to i i just don't see it yeah and it seems like that okada i mean i i could see, i could see okada going to the dome with the title uh, i think that Osprey is probably the guy to, to get the belt off of him, but who knows how they're going to get there, what they're going to do. Because Osprey still has the, the Kenny story to, to finish up as well. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys might need to go to New York to finish that story. <laughs> um, uh, okay, okay. And I also asked, do you think New Japan has plans for Tai Chi or is he just going to stay in this kind of Ishii-like role despite being a faction leader? Well, let's make it very clear. He's even though I know he's the most senior guy in the group, he's not the faction leader. They've made that pretty clear. Yeah, they've they've been kind of saying that there is no leader kind of thing. They're just right. four guys. <laughs> Which, if he was the leader, they would probably, you know, establish that. So, um, and I already kind of gave my thoughts on Tai Chi, so um, sort of answer this. But yeah. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig asks, is it likely that the end of Sonata losing streak storyline will lead to a LIJ faction shakeup or realignment for him, or would that be too much going simultaneously with the Bullet Club stuff? S- significantly, his tournament path possibly goes through Naito and Evil. That's a great observation. I hadn't thought of that. I guess, again, this is a hard uh tournament to kind of book out but yeah if it does wind up being a path that leads him to defeat naito and then possibly even face and defeat evil that's a great story arc to get him to the finals um and yes i do think that this is going to lead to a shakeup within lij of some sort i i don't know if that means he leaves for sure but it feels like that's where it's headed and it's felt that way the entire time yeah, I definitely think the Naito match is going to be the big one to watch to see how he wrestles that match and kind of what the interactions are after that match. I think will tell us a lot on what's going to happen with him going forward. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm even excited for that match from like an in-ring perspective, although I'm sure it will be good. I mean, both of those guys have tendencies that when they lean into their worst tendencies, I'm always like, ugh. But because of the, the the stakes that are at play and the storyline stuff, I am invested. And I guess that's part of their job as, as bookers and wrestlers to get us invested in the storyline. So, uh, you know, on paper, if this was just a G1 match, I might be like, eh, you know, it's, an interfa- it's interesting because they're in the same faction. But now it's like, what's going on? What What's going to happen? Is there going to be an angle? Is there going to be a split? Are these guys going to like fuck each other up? Like what's happening? So, yeah, definitely a uh, bigger stakes here. Yeah. Right. And uh, Dr. Larry, the dark says the finals is in Sonata's hometown and Sonata just debuted a new finisher. Do they go all the way with Cole skull or Finley? He basically ganked the Blade Runner, but with a DDT, and the Blade Runner is an established one-shot finish. Yeah, I guess you could uh, uh, claim. I don't know if this is us as fans feeding a narrative that's not there, but if that is part of the unspoken narrative that he has taken the Blade Runner and then built upon it, 
that could lend more credibility to an already very credible finish. Um, I thought the I thought the move looked really cool. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that that's something we've been talking about for a while. It's like the TKO, it's okay, but like he doesn't really have a true impact finish. And we've been saying for a while, like he need like he's got skull and he's got the Muda moonsault, he's got you know the the O'Connor roll and all that. But like he needed something like this, and now he has it. So that's a really great sign for him in this tournament, one way or the other. Even if he loses, it's gonna probably likely be in a situation where it feeds into whatever ongoing story he has going. But right now it is feeling like either him or Finley are the tournament favorites. Yeah. I mean, they could be on the finals. They're on opposite side of the brackets. Um, yep. And I think it, the finals being in Sonata's hometown, it's also a good look there as well. You want to draw, get your hometown hero in the main event in the finals, whether he wins or lose, that's a, a good way to draw for that house. Well, the thing that with that too, just, fantasy booking if you wind up in a situation where tim and finley and finley's this new bullet club slash well i guess i'm letting the cat out of the bag this new bullet club slash rebel club leader and they steal his dream from him in his hometown then that affords finley to go on and fail against okada but have basically fucked over sonata and if sonata does let's just i'm again i'm just fantasy booking here but let's say he does take over a faction now that faction has a mission and they have an opponent and they've got a goal in mind and they've got vengeance so i i think that sounds like something that could happen yeah well now let's move on to the uh, 51st anniversary show that happened today march 6 in Ota City Gym uh, We had uh, the Bull Club team of ELP and Kenta defeating Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, after this Match um, ELP was talking To Kenta you know something's going on in the back And kind of alluding to Some stuff we would see later on the show um, Following that We had United Empire uh, Aussie Open and Will Ospreay They defeated Kojima, Tamatanga And Toru Yano. Uh, we had a question here from Lazy Binger. What do you think of Osprey winning New Japan Cup to challenge Omega at Dominion slash Forbidden Door 2? That's an interesting way to go. Um, here's the only thing with that. They have Sakura Genesis, what, is it a week later or is it a few days later? Yeah, it's uh, April 8th. I think, I forget what, the, the finals I think are like the, the 20th something, I think the finals are. Yeah, so, oh, you know, that is interesting. So you've got, huh, that's really, really, really interesting because, yeah, you've got the New Japan Cup Finals on March 21st, and then April 8th is Sakura Genesis, and before that you have five nights. I don't know how many of these are going to be televised. It looks like at least two of them for sure, but possibly more. You have five Road to Sakura Genesis shows in between. They don't normally do that. Yeah, they usually just jump straight to Sakura Genesis. It's usually the next night or very shortly thereafter. Doesn't that seem interesting that they have Road to shows leading to Sakura Genesis and that gap? They don't normally have that gap, man. Yeah, maybe they're, huh. they're building to something. But I do think they announced, though, that plan was the new japan cup winner to challenge the champion at Sakura genesis 
Well, historically, I mean, you, you're probably right, but historically speaking, the winner of the New Japan Cup could challenge for any title that they wanted. Right. And we have seen in the past where I believe um, Shinsuke Nakamura won the tournament and challenged for the IC title, not the world title. Right, yeah. So there is precedent there. I think it's possible that that could happen. I hadn't thought of that, and I think it's an interesting idea. Again, we do we do so much of this on the show, and other shows do it too. And us as fans, we we try to be the smartest guy in the room and come up with all these like wacky theories. And even like to, on this show, we're doing a lot more fantasy booking than <laughs> we're normally comfortable doing. Yeah. Um, but that stuff's fun. And um, I mean, what if they go that way? Like, what if that is how we get the next Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay match? Because hypothetically, if that's the way you're going, they've got plenty of they have the finals to potentially set up a different challenger for okada and then they have road two shows to build that feud and they don't normally have that buffer and that kind of the other thing too though hypothetically maybe they maybe they are going to have someone like finley win and they feel like before they try and do a big house like that they need some road two shows to heat up the the feud. Maybe right. that's the other thought. Yeah, yeah, a lot of interesting options there with that that road two show uh, scheduled. I hadn't even looked at that. I didn't know that they were going that way. That's very interesting. Yeah. The uh, so third match of the night: uh, Strong Style, Despy Suzuki, and Narita. They defeated the House of Torture, uh, Dick Togo, Evil, and Show. Uh, Post match, you had Evil uh, laying out Narita because they're coming up. They have their first round match coming up, and we had a question from OK OK eight ninety. Do you think House of Torture should get a second heavyweight, or even just book Show as a open weight? To me, it doesn't look like Yujiro belongs in major tournaments. I mean, yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, we're going to talk about that here in a moment, but um, I don't know. Like, the thing is, like, okay, House of Torture gets a second heavyweight. Do we want to invest in the House of Torture at this no. point? Like, <laughs> is this a group that we want to set? Like, do we want to put someone that's more talented than Yujiro into this group so we can saddle them with the albatross that is the House of Torture branding? No. <laughs> right. So it's like, and maybe there are those people. And if that is the case, if you think this is a viable brand and unit and group that you could get invested in, then for you, yes, you might want to put someone else in there. Like, I'm not convinced that even if Ujiro wasn't in the group, he wouldn't still be in the tournaments. They just seem to like him for whatever reason. Hey, so, you, you need a painter in these tournaments. He's a great guy you can beat. <laughs> Yeah, but there's also a baseline level of performance that you want <laughs> to get out of these guys. Um, so, yeah. Uh, fourth match of the night, we had uh, Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb defeating Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. Then we had... L.I.J. in the dirt. Yeah. Uh, not working well together here. Uh, Leo Rush and Yo defeating Bushi and Hiromu, so continuing to build up that junior title match. Um, did did you see that Hiromu is now referring to Leo Rush as a kitty cat? 
No, I, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the old Will Ospreay routine. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to the uh, two New Japan Cup matches on this night. So first, in the semi-main event spot, we had the roughneck Shota Umino. He defeated Yuro Takahashi, 9 minutes and 47 seconds. Oh, boy. Uh, this was um, not, uh, what's the word? Good. <laughs> this was not good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I think that there's, I think there's uh, blame to be doled out across the board. Um, I don't want to be too harsh necessarily on Shota Umino, but he didn't really necessarily light the world on fire here. Um, I think, Yujiro already has had a reputation as not necessarily being a big match performer type singles guy, you know, and every now and again, someone can drag something decent out of him, but by and large, his matches aren't great. And lately he seems to be slowed down even to the pace that he used to keep even just a couple of years ago. And I would even dare to say a bit uninterested uh, his heat segments were uninspired and, and kind of lazy. And yeah. And then you got Shota Umino, who's like this young, exuberant, you know, hotshot who doesn't have the experience to carry a guy like Yujiro to a better quality match than what we got here. You couple that with House of Torture shenanigans and interference. And it, this is the the base recipe for. A terrible, terrible match. I, I think I'm like two stars on this, maybe less. And it's like a nine-minute-plus match. It's it's just not good. Plus, we saw a little bit more of Slippin', uh, slippin Umino. Like, we saw him kind of stumble and, and lose his footing and kind of get uh, discombobulated in that recent main event match he had against Naito. We saw a little bit more of that make a, an appearance during this match as well, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, and like you mentioned, yeah, show came out for the interference, which allowed Yujiro to get a low blow. He was going to hit uh, Umino with the, the pimp cane, but then he was able to uh, dodge that, hit the uh, Death Rider on Cho, Death Rider on Yujiro, and get the win here. So uh, Umino will advance to face Zack Sabre Jr. in the second round of the tournament. Uh, but like you mentioned, yeah, not the... Obviously not the best showing for Yujiro, but also Umino didn't look as strong as he, he has, as he has in other performances. Right. Um, the only thing I will say that's a positive is, you know, if you're if you believe that um, Umino has upside and you want to see him kind of like go through in this tournament, this is just kind of the tax that you sort of have to pay. Give him that pin eater, like you mentioned, Jeremy and Yujiro get that out of the way um, because even though granted this wasn't good. And I do think some of it was Amino's fault for sure with his inexperience. It's not like if you would put him in there with like, say, I don't know, Tomohiro Ishii or Will Ospreay that they were going to get a classic out of Ujiro. You know what I mean? Right. Especially with this amount of time with like a 10 minute match time. Like, it'd be better, but, I mean, it's still not going to be lighting the world on fire. So it's just one of those things, it's like, you kind of just have to beat him, jump in the muck with him, and move on. And now he's got Zach on, on deck. And that's going to be 
a very telling thing. Like, because if he goes out there and has a bad match with Naito and then has a bad match with Zack Sabre Jr., now we've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully that is a better showing for uh, Shota Umino. And that takes us to uh, the main event, or actually the semi-main event uh, for the evening. We had the uh, other New Japan Cup first-round matchup. We had uh, the Rebel, David Finley, defeating Tomohiro Ishii, 18 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, Big thing here, like we kind of alluded to earlier, David Finley now a part of the Bullet Club for his entrance, you know, they showed uh, the clips from Battle in the Valley where he, he laid out Jay White and cut that uh, scathing promo, which that led into new Bullet Club music for him. We saw a Rebel Club logo, and he out he comes, new look, uh, darker hair, darker beard, uh, new gear, and he's being accompanied by Gato, uh, so Gato has found his uh, his new man that he's gonna be uh, managing, and David Finley, and uh, that led into this uh, semi main event matchup. Gato's not loyal. <laughs> These bookers <laughs> ain't loyal. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. One has to kind of question. I mean, maybe maybe everything turns around, and Gato ends up looking like the smartest man in the room, but. This is the dude that started with Okada. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he jumped to Jay. And now he's with David. And I and I, those are really great wrestlers, but they're not Okada. Maybe he should have never just left Okada. That might have not have been a good career move. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> where you see where Okada's at now, it's like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, this match was really, really great. Um, you know, we're used to seeing Ishii brawling and just having great brawling matches, but David Finley stood toe-to-toe with him in that regard and really showcased a different side of himself than we're even, even with his recent string of great matches in the G1 and his title challenge against uh will osprey at the tail end of last year i mean he he had a new look he had uh new gear a new attitude but his style of wrestling was different as well i we saw both of these guys uh use moves that were not used to seeing them move um we also saw david finley powering through a lot of attacks from tomohiro ishii that in the past would have pretty much like taken him out and kind of just powering through them so this was a, a a whole different David Finley altogether than, and this is kind of what we were expecting out of like say, or complaining that we weren't seeing in the G1 last year mm-hmm. where everyone was loving his performance, but it still felt a little mundane, a little bit more like par for the course. This is a, this is a whole different like range for the guy. He's in a different role altogether, which is nice to see. Yeah, like you're saying, this is what we wanted to see this whole time. Like he had the fire here. Uh, he's really aggressive, more hard hitting, and yeah, from the from the bell, like you know, he he jumped Ishii right at the bell. Ishii was taking his shirt off, and then uh, from there, it was just a very hard hitting matchup. A lot of great uh, strike exchanges. Where in the past, you know, if Finley was would be striking with somebody like an Ishii, he wouldn't last. But he was you know going toe to toe with Ishii on all those big strike exchanges. Um, there was a great spear um, 
towards the end where he just you know crushed you know cut Ishi in half with that um, a lot of big you know back and forth like a big German suplex from Ishi to him and um, they were just trading a lot of really big bombs um, and, and getting up you know doing a lot of fighting spirit spots um, big lariats from each other as well um, and then eventually um, Finley hits um, a stunner a clothesline a headbutt and then the uh, the trash panda to uh, get the win but. Man, it's a, it was a lot of really great back-and-forth stuff here. Yeah, um, at one point we saw uh, Ishii use a Shining Wizard, which I think we've seen him use that in the past, but very sparingly, and so that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And Finley hit a Dominator, which we've never seen him use that move before, uh, which was also pretty awesome. Um, the match was great. Uh, again, I'm four and a quarter on this. This exceeded my expectations. And, you know, it would be easy to just, if we were being lazy, we could just chalk it up to it's Tomohiro Ishii. He carried a lesser opponent to a great match, and that's pretty standard for him. So congratulations, Tomohiro Ishii. But David Finley really has stepped up his game over the past year and has really come into his own as a a, uh, performer and competitor. And he didn't look like a guy that was getting carried in this match. I mean, there might be some element to that, but he looked like he belonged with Ishii toe to toe. And dare I say, he looked like a better, like a bigger star than Ishii. He looked like the guy that should be going over. Yeah. Uh, also, there was that great um, superplex spot Ishii gave to him, and Finley, you know, popped uh, right back up and. Uh, so yeah, Finley looked like a, a real star in this matchup, and yeah, I don't think that it was this was a carry job. Like he definitely gave his uh, share of the match here and looked great. I like this trash talking during the match as well. Yeah, so not just like a new attitude and a new look and everything, but like he kind of came off as like a badass. Like yeah, um, I yeah. mean, just to kind of put in context, and I, I hate to do this because I know that they're so intrinsically linked, but like. We saw like rock hard Juice Robinson like show up and like we were very excited for the prospect of it, but it kind of just felt like it kind of felt like Juice Rock. Like when I say Juice Robinson, I don't just mean the man, I mean the character. It felt like Juice Robinson cosplaying as a Bullet Club guy, but really just being Juice Robinson. Like <laughs> it's, it's still just wacky juice. Yeah. But now he's got like a black, you know, like a, a jean vest on, and that's all that's really changed. This did not feel like David Finley that we saw last year. I mean, it's the same guy, and I felt like what we what we got out of him in the G one and and in his U.S. title that was like a like the the metamorphosis to what this is. But he really is like owning this character, and he's like, this is him now. You know, this mm-hmm. rebel character or whatever. Yeah, and we had tons of questions uh, about this match and the happenings here. Um, so, uh, first from front of the show, Rich Latta, he says, David Finley, it or not it? Tough question. Um, we got to let it play out (laughs) (laughs) as our friends over at the, you know, the WWE fans like to say, let it play out. But, um, okay. If, if the question is, is he it in terms of like, do I think that there's star potential there, you know? And I'm not saying this as like an apologist to like, you know, do I genuinely think this guy could be a top star? I genuinely do right now. 
I'm very optimistic. This feels, I feel good about this. I like this more than like when, say like when evil turned, this Mm -hmm. is better than that. Um, but as the bullet club leader, I don't know if I buy him as bullet club leader just yet. And in fact, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if being the bullet club leader is a benefit to anybody these days. I know it's a, it's a, um, it's a platform that you have more recognizability immediately just from being associated with the brand, but there's already been four leaders in front of you and they're four of the best wrestlers and best characters that there's ever been. And do you just want to be another guy in that long line of guys that have already been like, do you want to be compared to Kenny Omega for the rest of your career? (laughs) Like you're Jay white. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a positive thing. I don't know if you look at the, actually, you know, what's funny. I'm just repeating all the same talking points that Zack Sabre Jr. Did you see that tweet that, or that the, the comment that was out there? No. Yeah. Zack Sabre Jr. Was like, uh, here, I'll, <laughs> uh, I know we're doing this on the air, but let me read this, bro. Let me read this to you. Like, it's really funny. Someone. Okay. So, um, shout out to, uh, um, actually, I don't even know where this came, but Zack Sabre Jr. Was quoted as saying, he said, what a joke. Bull Club's dead. Get them in the sea where they belong. The two suites been outdated for about two decades. But if you insist on doing it, maybe rethink your members. You got Yujiro Takahashi. <laughs> Fuck me. What a joke. <laughs> and like, nothing, and it's like, you know, to, to quote CM Punk, stop, stop him when he's lying, you know? <laughs> oh, but um, tell him when he's telling lies or whatever the fuck it was. But uh he's not lying and so it's like okay even if he does have all this star potential and even if his matches are really good and he he seems to be rejuvenated and reinvigorated how does it help to be surrounded by the house of torture and bad luck fale and liberd lucci and (laughs) caveman ug (laughs) and caveman ug and you know and show like i don't know bro I don't know if I'm David Finley if I want to be if if it was me I would reinvent the Bullet Club. I wouldn't even call it I would like hold a funeral for the Bullet Club and change the name. I mean, you know, there's a reason it's not like when Suzuki took over they didn't call it Kojima Goon any longer. They like changed the name of it. Like I think that there it might be the time to like lean into something new that's not Bullet Club. That's just me personally. I don't know. Yeah, I think it would be some a better move to have him kind of, you know, mold it and shape it in his look and totally yeah, get rid of the Bullet Club name and do something different and really, like, do a takeover. Like, I'm taking over the group. It's no longer called this. Get rid of the excess fat, like you mentioned. Get rid of some of those low-card guys. And then add, bring in some new guys to the group and keep some of the top-end guys, like, you know, El Phantasmo. You're going to do the, uh, the Brett... Or the the Shawn Michaels. One of these guys doesn't <laughs> look like the rest. Bah, super kick. Yes. Which uh, you know when that happened, I never, I never thought about the fact that Booker T was the only black guy associated with the group at that moment. <laughs> I didn't. It never like this. That was what two thousand two. Yeah. I was a teenager, so I wasn't thinking on those terms really. But like, you got the whole entire NWO in there, and it's. I think it's a. It's Sean, Sean, X Pac, Big Show, Nash, Kevin Nash, and Booker T. 
And he says, one of these dudes is not like the others. And kicks Booker T. And like, I was like, he's not like them. He's not part of the clip. Bro, that's what I thought too. <laughs> I was like, he doesn't belong. Get that riffraff out of here. I had no, but, but now that I'm an adult, I'm like, he kicked the only black dude out of the group and said, you don't look like the rest of us. What the fuck were we watching? <laughs> And that was, you know, right after the whole, you know, Booker T, Triple H, WrestleMania yeah. 19, you know, people like you. People, people like you. Don't, don't main event. Like, what? <laughs> you know what's funny about that? When I watched that, I also didn't think of that in racial terms at all. I was like, yeah, guys from WCW. WCW don't headline WrestleMania. These like, Crockett these boys, these Ted Turner boys. They, <laughs> these, the, the, these, you know, these guys from from Georgia. They don't. They don't deserve to be headlining. You know, the biggest the, the show of the Immortals. <laughs> it never, bro. It didn't dawn on me till I was much older, and I was like, and then like I read an article, and I was like, oh my god, he said what? <laughs> right, like dude, they. It was bad, but they could at least. Salvage it if Booker T had actually won and beat the guy that was like calling him out for you know not looking like us and being a champion, but they had Triple H beat that man clean. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh man. So David Finley, it or not it? Like, what are you thinking? What's the short answer? I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It's I, I. You gotta wait and let it play out. I think in this matchup, I think it was it. I, I like the music. I like the look. I like the style of wrestling. Uh, everything about the presentation here made me say like it was it for this night. But like you said, we, we got to see how it's going to look moving forward. This is the first. I will say this, this is the first time I've ever believed in David Finley. Yeah, I mean, in the past, I've enjoyed his matches, so it's not like I didn't think he was a, a, an excellent performer. But it just felt like underdog David Finley turning it up and improving and showcasing what a talent he is, but he's never going to be like a top guy. You know what I mean? Like I right. never, but here it was like, Oh, I believe in David Finley now. Like he's not David Finley. He's not that David Finley. This is a whole new fucking dude. And one thing I will say though, is I didn't, I know that everyone thought that he was going to like be part of bull club and like lead them and everything like that. And to me, that just didn't fit the, the, the MO of bullet club from what we saw at battle in the Valley, because he came out attacked on his own. He didn't allude to, I mean, yeah, he alluded to taking Jay White's spot. And I think a lot of people interpreted that as like, meaning he's going to be part of the bull club or whatever. And he wore all black. So I, I see the connections, but it just didn't fit the like standard, what we're used to seeing from bullet club. And maybe that's a good thing because maybe that is, uh, part of a reinvention, but I totally thought this guy was going to be. Plus, he was calling himself the Rebel, and to me, the Rebel is like when John Moxley was saying, "I'm not with anybody," mm -hmm, you know, yeah. and like I'm an outsider. I, I, I'm I'm not part of any group, and I thought that's what he was like—the Alpha Wolf, like he's Carl Fredericks, <laughs> you know. But then it's like, but then it's like I'm not a rebel. I'm part of the most lucrative group that is, you know, from a financial in the West, you know, standpoint in Bullet Club. So I don't know. I don't know if that all jives with me. Maybe right. he should just like redo it and call it Rebel Club or some shit or something with a better name. I don't know. Yeah. But like you mentioned the promo here, he's complaining about being an outsider, then he joins, you know, yeah, 
this big group. <laughs> yeah, I don't fit in anywhere except for the Bullet Club as the leader. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig says, with Finley coming out with Gato as a part of Bullet Club, I'm under the assumption that he is taking over the leadership role. Do you think this is a sign Bullet Club is refocusing on its original role as a heel gaijin group? Will some of the domestic talent leave it? I think those are great questions and they're sort of more like leading questions. And I, I think that it would be great if some of those things happened. I think shakeups just in general are healthy right now, especially where we're, we're at with the company. And um, I think some of that would be good if it happened because right now this, the bull club doesn't feel like the bull. I mean, that is one way you could, one way you could fix the bullet club is making it, more like the old bullet club. I know that we've been saying not to do that, but like if they were like a uh, some sort of like um Gaijin heel, you know, group, maybe they're maybe they could have a second lease on life. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, or or maybe, you know, having Finley bring in people that he's actually like friends Connected with. To. Yeah. To but I don't know who his boys are. Me either. I guess his brother, Brogan. <laughs> Dave, bring know. in Finley. <laughs> you know, I was saying that they should do that, but as I was saying, it almost feels like NWO 2000-ish. You know, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> one thing I do know is that, like, one way or the other, they need to change. If they are going to be the Bull Club, I say no more suckets, no more. I mean, they don't really do that, but, like, no more, like, two sweets, like, all the old vestiges of what this group was need to disappear. It, it does need to change. Yeah. The only guy that's even in, in the group still from the OG days is Fale. And he's like starting a whole different bullet club in, in Australia that no one seems to know about. Right. His whole, the, the rogue Army's bullet club. <laughs> right. So now you got three groups in bullet. You got realistically, you've, t- you've actually got like four groups in bullet club. You got bullet club proper. Then you got house of torture. Then you got Rogue Army, and then you got whatever the fuck the dudes in Impact are that claim they're part of Bullet Club. They aren't even ever on the Japanese shows to begin with. Chris Bay and uh, Ace Austin. <laughs> yeah, the Bullet Club. <laughs> oh man! Not to mention the 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 original club over in WWE. <laughs> A lot going on out here. But yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think if they did like get rid of all domestic guys, and it's like. Finley, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, ELP, Juice Robinson, like all the top like guys that are currently in the group. I think maybe that could work out a little bit better. Oh yeah, I forgot about Juice. We don't even know what the fuck's going on with Juice. Is he even part of this group or not? Like it's I mean, hard he, to tell. He came out and battled the valley. Yeah, but but he's been working for Tony Khan, not repping any. I mean, not repping anything with Bullet Club. It's weird. Really weird. Uh, Piero Poppy says, do you think New Japan management may have selected Dave Finley for the Bull Club leader position because he poses a lower risk to leave the company than others? No disrespect to Finley, but I can't see him attracting a lot of attention from AEW or WWE right now, which historically has been the case for Bullet Club leaders. Yeah, but I mean, to your point, they didn't, WWE didn't want AJ until he was a bullet club leader. They didn't want Finn Balor until he was bullet club leader. They didn't want Kenny Omega. They had Kenny Omega and they didn't want Kenny Omega until he was a bullet club leader. Probably the same story would apply with Jay White. Most likely, 
the, I mean, that is the platform that all those guys made their names and made their money and, and their, their fortunes off of, and then were got outside interest based off of it. So it, it's hard to, to claim that David Finley would fail without first putting him in the position we have to, he has to get an opportunity to be the guy first. And if he flops, he flops, but if history repeats itself, then he'll be a guy that these other companies are looking at because he's associated with the bullet club brand. Right. And then with that position, he'll be in big main events. He'll be facing Okada. He'll be facing Naito and Shingo and Will Ospreay. And that will elevate him to have these great matches and be seen um, by a bigger audience. Right. Uh, okay. Okay. 890 asks, do you think they possibly do a double turn with ELP and Finley? Seems to be that way. ELP. I didn't get to, uh, I, I read an excerpt um, from the backstage comments and he did not seem to be pleased or even clued in in any way to what was going on with this shift and shake up within bullet club. So I, I think from a character perspective, his motivations, he's probably, I mean, if I was him and I was in his shoes as a character, I'd be livid. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, um, tease that after the tag match, like him and Kento were kind of talking and he was, didn't seem upset with things that were happening backstage. So it definitely, yeah, it could be a double turn on the way. Uh, next question from Mr. Dormant 13 says, it's me, Bash. Finley, like really the new leader of the club, does that mean Juice is his underling now? All kidding aside, do you, don't you think ELP would have been a better fit for the role, especially after his progression last year? I mean, again, we're kind of rehashing some of the same talking points, but I don't know if I'm, if I'm an ELP, I don't know if I really want to lead the bull club. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, um, there was that, I saw a funny tweet. I don't think I talked about it on the air, but like, uh, when a few weeks ago, people were like trying to speculate who'd be the new Bullet Club leader. And someone's like, hear me out. MJF, new leader of the Bullet Club. And like MJF retweeted, he was like, I'd rather be a member of the put a bullet in my head club. Like, <laughs> And I, I think there are cons to be, A, you have the, you have these very, very lofty, um, you know, alumni that preceded you that you are going to be compared and contrasted to that you have to, you know, basically match up with on, or even potentially surpass, which in some cases seems insurmountable. So you've got that. Plus, you've got a diminished brand that's long in the tooth, that's uh, definitely bloated and seems to be very aimless. And I don't know if being associated with that group is a benefit to. Like if I'm ELP, right? I don't know if I if I have as much upside as people seem to believe ELP has. If I even want to be the bull club leader, because maybe it might be a better path to be the guy. On, I mean, look what it's done for Tamatanga. You mm, know what I mean? Yeah. It might be better for him to not be the leader of bull club and to forge his own path that is completely apart from having those expectations placed on him and having to be associated with those guys and yada, yada, yada. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the one thing with ELP, he is like, 
out of everybody that's currently in Bull Club, the one guy that feels like he would have fit in. He fit it the most. With the old Bull Club, like when I see him, like when he teamed with the Bucks at Forbidden Door, like it just seemed like it fit so well. Like he would have fit in perfectly with that Young Bucks, Kenny, AJ, Devin. He would have fit in in any of those kind of eras of Bullet Club. And so I guess if you really want, if you're trying to hearken back to that energy, you can go with ELP, but for his career trajectory, I do think that probably it's better for him to go babyface. I mean, there's not really a lot of top guys on the Huntai side right now. Uh, I mean, you got Tama. Um, I mean, Tanahashi is kind of on the downswing. Like, you always need more guys for that New Japan Army. Um, and so I think, yeah, going face, I mean, the, the crowd loves him. And I think the whole, you know, light up jacket thing works well, too, as a face. Like, there's so many things that he could do to get over as a face, and it, I think it would help him a lot. One other thing, too, is he asked about the idea of if Finley's the leader, is Juice's underling. And in a certain sense, yes, he would be. But, you know, one thing that was uh, an issue with the Bullet Club over the past couple of years was the lack of cohesion and unity that was very rarely ever on display under... Jay White like in the early days of him first taking over I think it was more prominent but in the last few years um I mean especially after like he dropped the title to Okada the first time it really they very rarely ever appeared as a group in any kind of capacity I mean most of the time that Jay came out it was just him and Gato unless he was working like a multi-man match with some of the other stable mates but like the only two prominent times I can even remember the bull club, like posing together or showing up on screen was like the one time that he, that Jay white was in the finals of the G one against uh Abushi mm-hmm. and the whole entire group came out. And that was right when Kenta joined the group. And then, you know, most recently, like last year when he beat Okada for the title, the whole group seemed to have come out at the uh, end of that show. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, the old Bull Club, like when um, specifically like when AJ Styles ran it, they were always all together all the time, even if it was like on being the elite or post match promos or, you know, and it kind of became a problem because they cheated so much. But at least there was that feeling that this was something. The Bull Club hasn't felt like anything to me in years. They're just a bunch of dudes that all wear black and white and too sweet each other. That's and, and then and then you got House of Torture that just fuck off with their matches and that's about it. Yeah, I mean we've been saying it for a while now. Yeah, Bull Club needs to to end. Um, but you know they they're, they're still raking in T-shirt money. They're still I guess a a popular brand domestically. Uh, but yeah, Finley's gonna lead. I definitely think there are some changes that they can they can do to help them out. Um, Def Triangle Seven Twenty says, "What is your opinion on New Japan just getting rid of Bull Club?" Well, we just talked about that. I mean, we've already kind of covered it. Yeah. Um, Senior Sombrero Three K One says, "Am I the only one that thinks that after his recent makeover, Finley looks like low budget Jay White?" He's got a good point there, and that's something they need to be careful about. Yeah. I don't know if I think they should have colored the hair. I like everything else, but I don't know if I like the new darker hair. I think in a vacuum, I do I do like the darker hair because also it's, it kind of just makes him look like a darker, more evil version of himself. Uh-huh. But, but then when you kind of back out and you're like, oh, well, yeah, he, he's trying to look like Jay White, then it's like, eh, it doesn't work out so well that way. Yeah. 
Uh, Hawaiian Punch BB says Gato needs a rebel. Bullet Club needs a rebel. The world needs a rebel. Does keeping it strong style need the rebel? We don't need any man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I do like I like this new persona. He's the rebel. I don't even know what I saw uh, some post-match comments uh, from him. I don't, I mean, again, I haven't watched them, but I saw where he, uh, I don't know if it was a tweet or if he said it after a match, but some, some, somehow like, I think it came up that like uh, fit Finley is not like in favor of what he's doing and he's not supporting it. And he was talking shit. He was like, the fuck I need fit Finley for Did he ever win a world title? <laughs> He's like, I don't need him anymore. He's like, I'm I'm the one who's going to fulfill the unfulfilled family promises. I'm going to be a world champion. This guy's going to tell me what to do. He never won a world championship. Man, you got a lot of guys wanting to, you know, go after their dads right now. The Guns, Dominic, now Dave Finley. Cody. <laughs> uh, we had a question just come in from uh, Downing Dash 24 on Reddit. It says, is Young Boy officially a part of... Of the hashtag Rebel Club. No. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, I, and that's not me saying I don't like him, but am I like, am I, uh, am I? I will say this: I did like the Rebel, the the new shirt he has. I like the logo because it looks like Misfits, kind of. That's kind of cool. I'm wondering if they are gonna get like uh, sued for that. <laughs> Like if they were even allowed to use that intellectual property, but it does look pretty cool. Yeah, I mean everything about the yeah, his gear, everything looks really cool right now with Dave Finlay. Well, uh, let's move on now to the main event of this show. We have the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Titles on the line. The champions Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. They defeated the mega aces of Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada, 20 minutes and 17 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just take a moment and recognize with a hand clap of applause and a salute in our hearts to the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Yoshi motherfucking Hashi. (laughs) Dude, this man, Yoshihashi... He did. He pinned the ace. Is there any chance that we're not like giving him the credit that he's due? That he might actually be the one that wins this new Japan Cup? Is has anyone even thought about that? Because I think I could get behind that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people have really been thinking about that because of the whole you know potential Aussie Open uh, storyline here. But you know, Yoshihashi said in the post match, you know, it's been his goal to. To beat Tanahashi, pin Tanahashi, he did that here in the tag match, and you know he said one day he, he wants to pin Tanahashi in singles. He wants to beat uh, beat Okada in singles. So who knows? Yeah, maybe it's his uh, you know Yoshihashi's year, not Finley, you know, not uh, Naito, Yoshihashi. You know, um, we've always made jokes recently about how uh, the Mega Aces, and you know, it is so funny that. Everyone else wants to to give a a team name to this team. And I hate all the team names they try to give to Tanahashi and Okada. You know, I've seen people want to call them Love and Rain and um, (laughs) call them the Dream Team. Like, bro, they're the fucking mega aces. We we 
gave them this name years ago. It's not changing. That's who it is. And if anyone wants to refer to them, anything other than the Mega Aces, I got two words for no. <laughs> um, but as I was saying, you know, when they first started teaming together in the early days, they did lose a lot. But in more recent history, they have been winning most of their matches. I think at this point, I did the math, and they've won as many matches as they've lost up to this point. Going into this match, I think they were close to like 500 all time with maybe like one draw or something like that. Um, so it wasn't completely unfathomable that they might have won um, the titles here. Another thing, too, um, I put out the tweet. Jeremy, I don't know if um, you caught this, but I did a little bit of research, and there have been nine instances in the past prior to this match where the main heavyweight title holder in New Japan Pro Wrestling was also the main tag team champion as well, but it hasn't happened in over 25 years. Um, So, like, had Mega Aces won... This would have been really historic for Kazushiko Okada and kind of like added to his legacy. And, um, you know, unfortunately they came up short here, but I thought that that was kind of like a cool talking point leading into the match. And, um, you know, they, they mentioned it on commentary, but they didn't mention us. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to our, our boy, Chris Samsa. He, he, uh, yeah, he dropped your, your stats on his, uh, sheet for Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton and, and didn't, you know, give credit to you and the show, but you know, no, this happened to overlook that that fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> okay. But you know, um, Anoki's done it in the past. Fujinami, Choshu, Muta, Hashimoto, and then most recently in 1997, uh, Kensuke Sas- uh, Sasaki. He did it in 1997, and he was a dual champion for about 49 days. So um, it's a it's a very very rare thing, and um, yeah, it looked at one point like it might have potentially been okada again but uh yeah um this match was fantastic though really 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 fantastic i mean it gave me serious all japan um like champion like tag team champion carnival type vibes here yeah this match was absolutely incredible you had this hot ota uh crowd you had uh you know four uh, other favorite guys in the ring here and they worked together so well, and there were just so many great um, near falls uh, throughout the matchup. Uh, you had Tanahashi hitting a straight jacket German and a sling blade on Yoshihashi for a great near fall. He goes up for the uh, high fly flow, then Goto cuts him off, uh, which leads to Tanahashi eventually getting a dragon screw on Goto, dragon screw on Yoshihashi, um, and then Okada and Tanahashi go for this cool double team where. Okada hits the elbow drop from the top, and Tanahashi was going to hit the high fly flow right afterwards, but then Yoshihashi got the knees up and got a small package, which was a great near fall. We've seen so many people pin Tanahashi after, you know, knees up into a small package cradle. So that was a great near fall there. Um, And then, again, some great strike exchanges. Um, They're going for Shoto over and over again, and Okada keeps making the save. Uh, Tanahashi's fighting free at a great near fall roll up there. Uh, Yoshihashi's going for karma. Tanahashi blocks it. Um, and then eventually um, they hit the Shoto and uh, pin Tanahashi. And this was just incredible matchup. So many great, believable near falls. Yeah. Um, 
in the past in various different companies, you'll see situations where you'll have like a, a, a team that is thrown together of major stars, like we saw here with Okada and Tanahashi, a dream team, if you will. And then you'll have an established, you know, long running tag team that is like their tag team specialists. They're the champions. And every now and again, you'll get that mythical matchup where you have that established tag team take on top end single stars who are trying to make a go of it together. And um, it's always a really interesting and kind of compelling story to tell. And there's lots of instances throughout the history of wrestling where this has taken place. And um, it, to me, it works best when you have where you show sort of like the superiority of the tag team that's used to teaming together that has the reps in and they know the beats and, and everything like that. And that's kind of what we saw here with Goto and Yoshihashi as Bishamon. Like they just gelled together on a higher level that the teamwork was much more fluid than what we're seeing out of Tanahashi and Okada. But that's not to, that's not to say that we didn't see bombs getting thrown by Okada and Tanahashi. I mean, they, they got their stuff in as well. And there were some really, really believable, very close near falls down the stretch that were like very compelling. Um, I think right now this is an easy early contender for tag team match of the year. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's probably the best tag team match that I've seen probably anywhere, at least uh, specifically for sure in Japan this year. And that that's across the board. And there were, there's been a couple of really awesome tag team matches already. And I think that this is the one that's leading the pack, not just for new Japan, but just domestically across the board. But this might be the best tag team match I've seen in 2023 so far. Period. Yeah, dude. The, the the crowd was so hot for this match. The the near falls were just in. There were so many times where you're like, "Oh, that's it. That's it. Oh, we're gonna get new champs. Oh, they're gonna retain." And it was literally a roller coaster ride of emotions towards the end there. And these guys, I mean, they they have amazing chemistry together in, in singles and, and tag situations. And yeah, this was an absolutely uh, incredible main event here. And th this whole show was free. So if you're not a New Japan World subscriber, I definitely uh, recommend you go to njpwworld.com and check out this uh, main event match uh, for free. Because this, like Josh said, this is this is probably going to be one of the leading contenders for our Tag Team Match of the Year award for this show. But then even across the board, like this is just a, a great straight up tag match that competes against anything that's happened this year so far. Yeah, for some context right now, in Japan, um, the other really highly acclaimed tag team match that, that took place this year was like Kento Miyahara and Takuya Nomura versus uh, Naoya Nomura and Yuma, uh, Yuma Eoagi. And that got like four and three quarters from Dave. It's got a 9.37 on cage match. This match also has a 9.37. I saw the All Japan tag team match, thought it was blow away. I like this one even better than that one. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's only got 45 votes right now. So I don't know if the trend, if it's too early that it's going to keep going up for a bit, or if we're at the, the tipping point where it's going to go down. But um, I know it's early, but it's right now it's the number four highest ranked match uh, in cage match altogether. It's just behind Okada, Shingo, Danielson and MJF and Kenny Omega, and Will Ospreay. So, I mean, you know, we're, we are looking at, what I think right now could very easily be a match of the year contender for our awards just on the top 10 ballot period. And that's pretty hard to do as a tag team match in new Japan. 
yeah, I, I don't think we've ever had a straight up tag break into the the match of the year category, have we? I'm pretty sure we have. I'm pretty sure, like, well, maybe uh, like a Bucks and like Golden Lovers, maybe. Uh, I think Bucks and Golden Lovers for sure has been on there, but this one feels like it's going to be on there. Yeah, it might not. I don't know. It's early, but like, yeah, this is this was fantastic. Where are you going? And, uh, star rating. Um, four and a half mm-hmm. for me, maybe four and a half plus. I don't know. It's really, it's, it's really awesome, but I could see someone going higher than that personally. And uh, again, this just really, I know it's only 20 minutes long, so it's not quite a fair comparison to compare it to like some of those all Japan nineties tag team epics that went 45 minutes plus, but the way it was worked, especially down the, the tail end stretch, it, felt a lot like you know holy demon army versus like super generation it felt like that yeah yeah i haven't given my final rating but yeah i'm definitely with you somewhere four and a half to be between four percent and five maybe that you know that, maybe four and a half plus yeah the, the the lands of method yeah the four and a half plus uh but yeah just absolutely incredible matchup definitely have to go out of your way to watch this one and like i was mentioning earlier uh yoshihashi post-match cut the promo uh, talking about you know second great tile defense for Bishimon and how he was finally able to defeat Tanahashi. Uh, and he he asked who had Yoshihashi closing out the fifty first anniversary show. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't think anyone did, but that's pretty awesome. And I liked some of the comments he made where he like he finally beat Tanahashi, and not only that, but he's like he mentioned how if he sharpens his skills and improves day in and day out, he thinks like one day and someday soon he's going to be able to beat both Okada and Tanahashi in singles, which I'm like, hell yeah, Yoshihashi. Like, let's fucking do this. Like, well, I mean, Tanahashi's on the downswing and Yoshihashi's on the upswing. I mean, who knows? Maybe G won this year. He can get that a big singles win. Yeah. Uh, so we had a question here from Puro Poppy. He says, with all the mixed faction undercard tags and Okada, Teaming with Tanahashi to challenge Bishamon, can you guys think of any particular reason New Japan still keeps Chaos and Huntai as separate entities? The only thing I can think of is maybe they sell a lot of Chaos merch. Curious your insights on why they remain separated. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, it is semantics, but it uh, they aren't the same thing at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um they're adjacent to one another. I mean, because at the end of the day, Okada being the top guy still, you know, based on the way that this company has been set up for a decade plus still kind of needs to be the leader of a group, but he doesn't fit into that traditional Hantai role, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you did kind of just merge them into one another or do away with chaos, it kind of, throws Okada's role as the leader sort of into flux. I know some people are critical of uh, how the group is ran and everything like that, (laughs) especially considering this match in particular. (laughs) So who knows? Um, Yeah. It could also be like you mentioned um, something from like a financial standpoint with the merchandising and how they're marketed. But, you know, at the same time too, a lot of these groups, it's not just the fact that they're in a group, but they actually travel together, train together and everything like that. So that might be part of it as well. Like they're chaos because chaos actually does have these close knit connections besides just what you see on screen. Right. We've seen like kind of like the off screen stuff with these guys, Ishii, Yoshiashi, Goto, Okada, 
the the Okada cruise kind of stuff, going fishing together, that, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, there's they're kind of that, that that real life bond between these guys. And so, yeah, that could be a reason that why the group keeps going, or kind of like you're saying, like Okada's character, especially now, he's kind of more um, heel leaning a little bit. Um, you know, the kind of big box we've been talking about that doesn't really fit. Yeah. The, you know, the, the flag waver kind of bay face of new Japan pro wrestling. Um, and so, and I know Hantai technically is a group, but it's also kind of not a group. And so, yeah, really having Okada Lee's own group, I think is a, is a necessity for his character right now. Well, that's it for, um, the action that happened for this. But before we move on best 50 best anniversary show in years. Yeah. Yeah. A couple bangers at the top. Yeah. So uh, we have some more New Japan Cup shows coming up this week. Um, So night two of the New Japan Cup uh, tour will be on March 8th in uh, Fukushima. So on the undercard, we'll get Nakashima and Umino versus Fujita and Sabre. Just four guys versus ELP, Kenta, Chase, and Gato. Shingo and Bushi versus Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, Leo Rush, Finley, and Tamatanga versus Hiromu Sonata and Naito. Now, this was announced before Finley's turn, so I'm curious to see if they're going to continue with this match with Finley teaming with Rush and Tamatanga, or if they're going to shake the card up with Finley now being in Bullet Club. Yeah, that's a great point, and um, if I were to guess, they probably will shake it up. Yeah. Um, and then uh, fifth match of the night will be Yo Yoshihashi Goto versus Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and Will Ospreay. Then we'll have uh, New Japan Cup first round action: Toriyano versus Mark Davis and Evil versus Ren Narita. Who are you going with? Uh, with for those two? Um, I'm still picking Evil against Ren Narita, especially now that we're seeing this, you know, Lij alumni. Uh, Sonata storyline kind of play itself out. It not only does evil fit more into that narrative now more than ever, but it also I also still have the same reasonings that I had to begin with. That like I don't know if Renderita needs uh, to continue in through continue on in the tournament at this point um, since they already sort of had him go deep in the in his last tournament, and I also think with evil. Potentially, um, I don't know if that group like House of Torture is still angling for the never openweight six man tag team titles, but a win over Renarita might qualify them for that. Or even if they're not, having Evil beat Renarita might just be like the little feather in his cap, like the give back to dropping the belts to them. Like, you know, he has the last little final say over this, you know, young rookie returning from, from excursion. So, to me, having Evil win just makes the most sense on a lot of levels, even if I don't like it. And I, again, I don't—I know this isn't popular, but I think Toriano is going to beat Mark Davis just because the winner of that match has Will Ospreay next, and I don't—I don't know if they're willing to do so many interfactional matches. But I would—I would like to see Mark Davis win because I think him and uh, Will Ospreay sounds a lot more enticing. Than Yano and Will Osprey does. <laughs> yeah, uh, Davis and Osprey would be awesome. But yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah, Yano is going to get the you know the roll up win there. Um, you know the the one case for Narita winning is he did beat Sonata in that 
uh, TV title tournament. So if you wanted Sonata to get the win back on his way to kind of rehabbing and getting it's a great point to the main event, you could have him beat Narita um, in that in that round there to move on to the I've been thinking maybe the semifinals or finals, whatever that bracketing would be. Yeah, you can definitely do that. To me, though, if you're trying to establish Sonata as a top guy, I think beating bigger names means more than getting a win back in that tournament. But um, that's just my logic. It doesn't mean that that's what they're going to do. And you could be 100% right. Like, he, Renarita beat him last time, beat him pretty convincingly. So maybe that's how they, part of his uh, rehabbing. Yeah, but the whole, like you mentioned, the whole LIJ connection there, like if he beats uh, Naito, then beats Evil, like I think that would be more kind of poetic justice than, yeah, going through Narita. Right. So then uh, moving on, night three will be March 10th. We'll have uh, Vegeta and ZSJ versus Sho and Yudro, Kanemaru and Taichi versus Diktogo and Evil, Finley, Narita, Despi, and Suzuki versus Gato, ELP, Chase, and Kenta. Same thing there with Finley, you know, being teamed up with the strong style guys. Um, then we'll have uh, Hanma, Yano, Ishii, and Goto versus Okan, Cobb, Davis, and Osprey. Leo Rush, Yo, Umino, and Tama versus Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. Then for the New Japan Cup matches, we'll have Yoshihashi versus Kyle Fletcher. And then Shingo Takagi versus Aaron Hanare. I'm still going with Kyle Fletcher because the winner of this gets Goto, and I I don't think they're going to do Yoshihashi versus Goto. Um, and then, or actually, I don't even know. Is that the case? Go, Goto has a buy, right? Yeah, Goto has a buy, so the winner would face Goto, yeah. Okay. And then um, with the Shingo Takagi, Aaron Hanare thing, ah, man, um, that's really tough for me. I, I think I'm still going to call the upset. So Hanare, like he did pin Shingo in the, in the undercard of today's show. Oh. If that changes anything for you. Yeah, that's not a good sign. <laughs> because that's your classic, I'm heating the guy up to eat a pinfall loss. And he needed help, too. Jeff Cobb hit the tour of the islands first on Shingo. Then he hit his move and pinned mm. Shingo. <sighs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. I think that that might be a, a bit of a red herring. Um, it probably I mean there is there are reasons to have Shingo go through. He's one of the only bigger names still in this tournament, uh, especially on that side of the bracket. And it does make financial sense to have him continue on through the tournament, um, especially given the fact that he's a former champion, everything like that. But since he is the new Japan, um, the king of pro wrestling title holder. I think Aaron Hanari fits in that role perfectly. I think Aaron Hanari is going to cheat again and pick up an undeserved victory over Shingo and kind of just get him out of the equation. Kind of like what we were predicting with ELP and Naito, but this time it's actually going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing, the two things that are making me want to go with Shingo, one, like I mentioned, Hanari getting the win on today's show, on Shingo, and then plus this whole Sonata Lij thing. What if you do Sonata Shingo in the finals at, at the end? Yeah, you could do that, but I I I have a lot of faith that they're going with Dave Finley. Uh, at, I mean, at the very least to the semifinals. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm changing. I'm going with Shingo uh, here for this one. It, it makes sense. I think we both laid out a compelling, uh, a lot of compelling reasons why you might want to have Shingo go through. So. 
they, they very rarely have they ever proven to us that they have great faith in Aaron Hanare. I mean, the, the biggest win he's ever gotten is, you know, um, Tanahashi in the G1, which he's not the only one that's ever beat Tanahashi in an unexpected fashion in the G1 on the opening day. Like that's happened quite a few times. So mm-hmm. he's not alone there in that, but uh, he didn't have a stellar G1 in terms of like kayfabe booking. So it's not like uh, there's a lot of reason to have faith. My only thing is he would be a good KOPW title challenger. So uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. that That's my only real reason for holding on to the booking. Then uh, night four, March 11th, we'll have uh, Tanahashi and Okada versus Ren Narita and Chota Umino. And then we'll have two second round matches. Uh, Naito will take on Chase Owens, who's coming in for bye. And then we'll have uh, Sonata versus Kenta. Kenta coming in for bye. Also to note, Kenta does have the strong openweight championship with him in Japan. And there also seems to be uh, potentially uh, Suzuki wants to challenge for that title, it looks like. Well, this would be the first time in, in that title's history that the champion's actually been in Japan, so that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, Tanahashi and Okada got to get their win back, so <laughs> get back to that 500 range. Um, yeah, I'm going Naito and Sonata on this, and I think we're going to see them face off, and th- they're both talking about it, so it's pretty clear that's where we're going. Yeah. Then uh, night five, March 12th, we'll have Goto versus the winner of Fletcher Yoshihashi, Tama versus the winner of Shingo and Hanare. Yeah, um, I think we're going to get Goto versus Fletcher. I don't know that I believe Kyle Fletcher is going to go through both members of Bishamon, but he could. I'm going to stick with Goto getting the the victory there. I'm going to go with uh, Fletcher. Okay. And then um, I would prefer to see Tamatanga versus Shingo, but we could go with him and Hinare. Um, I sort of feel like Tamatanga needs to beat either one of them, regardless, though. Yeah, and if you have Tama beat Shingo, there's no need. You know, it's a champion versus champion. There's no need. To you know, Tama doesn't need to challenge for KOPW, so Shingo can be off and it's fine. Um, so yeah, I, I, w- I would like to see Tama and Shingo here. Right. I just if I mean if um, if Shingo beats Tamatanga, unless he's going deeper in the tournament, he does have a claim to the the Never Title. Yeah. Um, and then on night six, March thirteenth. Uh, more second round action. We'll have Jeff Cobb coming in for bye versus the winner of Evil and Narita. And then Will Ospreay come in for, for bye with the winner of Yano and Davis. Yeah, you know, Cobb's that 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 bye that we hadn't really given uh, enough thought to. We're both talking about Evil or Narita potentially facing Sonata when you got a daunting challenge in Jeff Cobb in front of you. and. I don't know. The, 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 to me, all bets are off when it comes to this tournament. We've gotten most of our booking wrong so far already. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anything's possible. But um, I think you go Osprey beating. It's tough. I think last week I predicted Yano beating Osprey, which could happen. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think you go Osprey and Evil. 
Yeah, that probably makes the most sense. Yeah. Probably, but it, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we got a lot. I mean, bro, one, two, three, four, five, five shows in seven days. So it's going to be a busy, busy week. I, I don't know how much time I'm going to be giving to those undercards. I, I, I think I'm just going to focus all my attention on the main matches. Same here. Yeah, I'll, I'll scroll Twitter for any clips of uh, undercard stories. <laughs> um, so moving on to the news, uh, the official word is that Jay White is now officially a free agent as of February 28th. Um, so, you know, no surprise there, but he's no longer with New Japan apparently. Axis aired the Mercedes Monet versus Kyrie match from San Jose on March 2nd, and they will be airing the Eddie Kingston versus Jay White and Okada versus Tanahashi matches on March 9th. On March 16th, they'll start airing the anniversary show and New Japan Cup matches. Uh, Mercedes Monet was on the red carpet this past week for the Mandalorian, and she was sporting the IWGP women's title, getting some good press there. Kiji Muto and Seiji Sakaguchi were honored by Japan's national government for lifetime service to the sporting world this past week. Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Blake Christian on the first episode of ROH TV's reboot episode. That match is now available for free on YouTube. So if you haven't checked it out, it is available. Bullet Club's Chris Bay and Ace Austin defeated the Motor City Machine Guns this past week to become Impact Tag Team Champions. So... Um, some more gold on the Bull Club's waist. And then there were announcements this past week. Bloodsport 9, Johnny Bloodsport, will be taking on Team Filthy's Royce Isaacs. And we got a couple questions and uh, recommend match week. We're going to get out of here. Yeah, so Hawaiian Punch BB says that deathmatch legend Isama Kodaka challenged show to a deathmatch. Do you think he could beat the House of Torture out of show? I don't think show's going to do that match and he also declined the challenge the night of. So I'd be very surprised if they actually end up doing that match. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, how impressive was the heavyweight debut of John Jones? Who would, who would you pick in a hypothetical matchup between John Jones and Ninganu? Interesting, interesting question. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot to kind of unpack there when it comes to John Jones at heavyweight. And I don't think I've ever really gotten a chance to kind of give my thoughts on John Jones competing at heavyweight on the air here. So um, I think that John was very impressive. Did you watch that fight, Jeremy? No, so it was a busy uh, wrestling weekend. I didn't get a chance to, to watch a fight yet. Okay. I know we're running up on time, so I'll try to keep it brief. But um, a couple things with John. Um, John hasn't fought in three years. Uh, self-imposed exile partially due to COVID, but also giving himself the time to put the weight on. Right. Um, so he's not quite the same fighter at this point as he was prior. So it's not like everything that preceded this fight is really applicable because he is a whole new fighter. Um, so there's a lot of question marks. I've always felt like John was going to have trouble at heavyweight one way or another for a few different reasons. Number one, as great as John Jones is, and John Jones is undoubtedly one of the greatest fighters of all time, maybe the greatest, he has never had knockout power, one-hit knockout power. He's dangerous in almost every aspect of fighting. He's got one knock, like one walk-away knockout victory, the head kick against uh, DC in the second fight, but he's never slept anybody with a punch uh, ever, and that's the kind of thing that you sort of generally do need at 265. Um, he might have it 
uh, at this point. You know, sometimes when you put on the extra muscle, the extra mass, you gain power from that. Plus, I do assume he's going to have a speed advantage over most heavyweights. The, the, the unfortunate thing is we didn't get to see that out of him um, on Sunday or Saturday night. So it still remains to be seen what kind of power he has in his fists moving forward. Um, second thing, in the past, John Jones, the one time that he ever put on real muscle was for the fight against Avin St. Preux when he had been, he'd been given the one-year suspension and then he returned. And he really struggled that night with his performance, having the extra weight on. Um, so I've always felt like I didn't know if he had the right frame for 265, even though he's a big guy. Um, he looked pretty good against um, uh, Gon, but I did notice that even though his strikes look fluid, he himself looked a little loosey-goosey from a footwork standpoint. And that's not just my perspective. He actually said that in the post-match. He said... He didn't feel fully comfortable on his feet at that point. Plus, he I don't think it was fully disclosed, but he definitely went into this fight with a, um, some sort of injury because he was doing a lot of swimming in those embedded uh, videos leading up to the fight. So um, I, I do think there's a reason he decided to, to take Gon down as opposed to stand with him, which is smart. Um, that being said, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of how he carries the weight because the fight was so short. We don't know what kind of gas tank John has. How how long can he compete at that level with that kind of weight on him? We don't really know. We haven't seen it yet. Um, the other thing too, John has always struggled with guys that were his same size or bigger than him. Uh, it's rare, but there are a handful of guys that he's fought like that. Mostly the younger generation of guys he's fought. Uh, some of his own contemporaries, but you know, like Gustafsson, um, Avin St. Preux, um, Reyes, Santos, uh, Smith, just to like name a few. And one of the biggest things is a lot of John's game is based on ground and pound and, and getting people off their feet. John's um, takedown completion when some, and I, I did, I looked this up recently when he's fighting a man that's smaller than him in stature his takedown um, success rate is 65% of the time he's successful. When he's trying to take down a man that's his same size or bigger, it's less than 20%. Or it's, I think it is 20%, maybe like 21, 22, something like that. He has really struggled to take bigger men down. Um, now, he did get gone down, but keep in mind, and it was very smart and you can't fault him for it, he got him down off of a mistimed strike and he took his back and then used his weight to kind of push him down. It wasn't your traditional, you know, toss or shoot. So it's not like we got to see John's wrestling ability um, the same way, you know, like we didn't see him, like him do like some Randy Couture type shit is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he wasn't out there shooting, you know, deep double legs or anything like that. Yeah, he wasn't doing deep du double legs or, or single legs or anything like that. Like he just happened to catch the guy when he was mistimed, caught his back, pushed him down to the ground. And then from there kind of controlled him and he was brilliant at controlling him on the ground, but that didn't really tell us anything. We didn't know. We knew gone was a one dimensional fighter that he wasn't good off of his back. We already saw this with uh, the Francis and Ganu fight and he's a, he's a, uh, a French, you know, Muay Thai kickboxer. So he's not someone who's going to be comfortable with a big man like John Jones on top of him. And he didn't have submission defense and he got tapped out very, very quickly. It was impressive. I'm not taking 
anything away from John Jones. It's just there's a lot of unanswered questions. What is his wrestling going to look like against someone that can take that can um, you know sprawl or defend a takedown? What is his chin going to look like when someone actually hits him? Because we didn't see, even see him get hit in this fight. Uh, and at 265, I'm sorry, doesn't matter who you are. That's like the danger zone. Any any and everybody can get knocked out at 265, period. Um, we don't know what his gas tank looks like with his cardio. Um, there's just a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, it was very impressive and all credit to, to him. And maybe he can continue to do this moving forward. But um, I don't know what John Jones at heavyweight looks like because we only saw a minute and a half, two minutes of it. And it, it looked scary. I will say this. He moved forward with no fear. And he was walking down a Muay Thai world champion and he was in the pocket the whole time and gone looked scared. And the few, the few shots that he did throw, like the punches, they looked like they had bad intentions on them. They didn't land. So I don't know how powerful they were and what that, what that might look like, but uh, he looked good. You know um, that being said, I always pick Nganu period. I, I'm, I pick I, the two guys at, at heavyweight that I'm not going to pick against when it comes to John Jones. I'm not going to pick against Stipe and I'm not going to pick against Francis Ngannou unless John Jones gives me reason to, to doubt that because Francis is just the scariest fighter I've ever seen in my life, period. And Stipe couldn't get him down and got knocked out. And if he employs the same kind of takedown defense against John Jones and then he hits him, it's, it's night, night period. Yeah. And Ngannou's, grappling and wrestling has improved a ton from the very first fight uh, his very first ufc fight several years ago right um and so yeah being able to to grapple with john and stop those takedowns and, they, and throw one of those big wild strong punches of him's like yeah he, he would knock john jones out i give john a lot more uh um a lot more of a, a chance against Stipe. I think the fact that he's open as such a large favorite over Stipe is a little bit ridiculous. And I might even, I, I don't even gamble, but I might put some money on Stipe against John Jones because there's value there. Uh, but Stipe is the one guy that like, he's great in every single aspect of MMA. There's nowhere he's weak. He's great on the ground. He's great in the clinch. He's great standing. He's got awesome strikes, got a great chin, great wrestler. I mean, he's, completely well-rounded and that's like the I, I hate to like move the goalposts but it is the truth he's been the dominant defining man in that division for a long time now and it's like okay john jones did beat gone Gon, gone's dangerous but he took him down and submitted him very quickly like if he does that to like um you know to stipe that's a whole different now we're like holy shit what are we looking at right now but um I don't know if he does that to Stipe. I know Stipe's 40, but age doesn't matter as much at heavyweight as it does at the lower weight classes. So I, I do favor Stipe and I favor Nganu over um, Lesnar, or I'm sorry, over uh, John Jones. Last thing before we move on. If I'm the UFC and I'm John Jones and I'm going to make a run at heavyweight, I do everything in my power to re-sign Brock Lesnar if in fact his contract with WWE is coming up as it's rumored because they could not make any more money against any other opponent that would be as safe as doing John Jones against Brock Lesnar. Yeah, that would be a, a huge uh, money drawing fight. That that could hypothetically be the biggest gate and biggest selling pay per view ever in the history of the sport. Yeah. 
Well, uh, let's wrap things up now with a recommended match of the week. Last week, um, I had the excursion match. I recommended the Young Bucks versus Aussie Open from Rampage. Yeah, um, this match was outstanding. Just another in a long line of Young Bucks offerings on free TV that are like kind of mind-blowing. Aussie Open, again, They were incredible as well here. Um, One has to wonder what's going to happen with Aussie Open long term. If they like, I don't know why they haven't been signed somewhere just yet, but they looked incredible here. And so did the Young Bucks. And this is, this is definitely a match that um, I want to see again and again. Um, I thought it was really, really awesome. I don't know if I'm as high as Dave. Dave went like four and a half on this. And I think that might be stretching it just a bit, but I'm probably like three and three quarters, four stars here. I think on the given the right stage and everything that these guys have an even better match in them, but at 16 minutes for a first time meeting between them, they let it all hang out. And this was great. Yeah, that was a really fun matchup. Obviously, I think people were expecting probably more with it being those two teams, but Hey, it was a Friday on a tape rampage. I'm sure time probably got cut out from the TV presentation. You had commercial breaks in there. Um, I think on a forbidden door like stage where there's you no know, pay view timing, I think these guys these guys can do a better match. Right. I, I still think it was very. Um, there was a lot of good finisher fake outs and some pretty cool unique spots, and I thought it was very entertaining. Um, you know, the House of Black interference probably didn't help necessarily, so that was kind of a little and it was also kind of weirdly it wasn't even a major part of the match like it was weird like it didn't need to be there but i think for the story they were telling with with house of black and the young bucks like it had its place but they also didn't want to detract from the match so they did it real quick but it also didn't fit it was just kind of like a weird thing there yeah um but yeah uh, then for the recommended match of the week, you recommended uh, the Great Muta versus uh, Tenryu from uh, 96 uh, from War. And man, this was a bloody, wild brawl. Uh, Muto Tenryu, these guys were brawling all uh, around the ringside. Muto had some kind of like, I don't know if it was like a screwdriver or some kind. It was like some kind of sharp object that he had. And he was just uh, jabbing uh, Tenryu in the head. Um, and then Tenryu was bleeding. And then they, they're back to the outside. Muto uh, pile drives um, Tenryu on the table. And then Muto is just walking the dog with this man and just destroying him on the outside. Tenryu is a bloody mess. Um, they get back to the inside. Uh, Tenryu, is, he's, he's hitting these big, you know, dangerous backdrop suplexes. Muto's no selling it. Um, Tenryu is trying to fight back with a chair, but then he gets misted um, by Muto, and then um, gets a table, sets up in the corner, does his, uh, the backdrop, uh, the, the handspring uh, elbow drop to uh, Tenryu through the table. Uh, then Tenryu uh, reverses the Muto moonsault into a powerbomb, but then it gets misted again. Um, they go to the outside, brawl a bit more, back in the ring. Uh, Tenryu comes back, hits a powerbomb, and was able to beat the great Muta. Um, so yeah, this was to say, oh, I was saying a wild, crazy brawl, bloody brawl. Um, 
kind of surprising that I guess just watching the match and not knowing the full context of the rivalry and the story that Muta lost the match after he was so dominant and seemed like Tenryu had no no chance here. Yeah, um, I think that this was probably in many ways the best offering of the great Muta character in Japan because, um, you know, in, in America, the great Muta character was essentially just a gimmicked up version of Kiji Muto, right? Mm-hmm. Like he still wrestled the way that Kiji Muto would become to know, like how do, how am I, what am I trying to say? The way that Kiji Muto wrestled in Japan later with all the, the flash and the high spots and the, the high speed and everything like that, the athletic style, that's what he was doing prior on his excursion, but as great Muta, plus he had the gimmick. But once he got to Japan, because he was wrestling that way under his own real name, once he introduced the great Muda character, he had to actually move away from the athleticism altogether. And that's and most of his matches are spectacles where there's very few high spots. There's, it's very slow paced. It's all blood. It's all gimmicks. It's all smoke and mirrors. And there's not really much of a mixture between those two things. But once he went to war and he wrestled Tenryu, he was able to kind of do a hybrid version of the Great Muda character where, yeah, it is still really violent and it is mostly that, but he's all, he's also not phoning it in and just doing, you know, a Kabuki, uh, you know, impersonation. Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, you know, kind of it was getting vibes from all the, the Moxley Hangman matchup where, you know, Tenryu is this bloody mess and he's getting jabbed in the head with some sharp object, so... Yeah, really uh, bloody, wild, crazy brawl here. Nice. So what do you have for me this week? So this week I got the recommended match, and I am recommending Tetsuya Naito versus Tomohiro Ishii from Invasion Attack 2014 for the Never Openweight title. Okay. Um, And for Excursion Match of the Week, I will be... uh, recommending Zack Sabre Jr. versus Blake Christian from Ring of Honor Television. Perfect. Been meaning to check that one out as well. Well, that's going to uh, wrap things up for us here. Uh, Next week, we'll be back to review more New Japan Cup action. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Summerwitz. The AEW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam Brown. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. 
Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.